What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to Off the Chain, simply the best podcast in crypto. Let's kick this thing off. Sam Parr is the founder and CEO of The Hustle, a new age media company that uses email to deliver information to young people. In this conversation, we discussed how The Hustle was launched, what makes a great email newsletter, how Sam and his team grew to 1 million subscribers so quickly, how Sam got fired from Airbnb the day before he started, and why great entrepreneurs usually bet on themselves. This episode was a lot of fun to record, and I hope you enjoy it. But before we get into the episode, I want to talk about the two sponsors that made this possible as well. The first, BlockFi. You know I love these guys. If Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies have any chance of ever becoming the next global reserve currency, we're going to need a lot of infrastructure and wealth management services built. It's exactly what BlockFi is doing. As many of you already know, I'm a huge fan. I even invested and I'm a user. Today, they offer three products. The first is giving US dollar loans against your crypto as collateral. The second is an interest bearing account for your crypto deposits. And the third is allowing you to buy or trade cryptocurrencies. These three products are important in helping people do more with their Bitcoin, Ethereum, GUSD, etc. Don't want to sell your crypto but need US dollar liquidity? BlockFi can give you a loan. Or maybe you're a long-term holder like me, but want to earn some interest on your assets. Obviously, rates vary, but right now, BlockFi is paying 6.2% APY on Bitcoin and 8.6% APY on GUSD deposits. Those are unheard of interest rates in the legacy fiat world. As if these three products weren't enough, BlockFi also recently told their users that they will be launching a credit card in 2020 that pays their rewards in Bitcoin, rather than cashback or loyalty points. A Bitcoin rewards credit card not only sounds dope, but should help more people earn Bitcoin for their everyday purchases too. So BlockFi has been a longtime supporter of Off The Chain Podcast, and I'm a huge fan. Go to BlockFi.com slash POMP. Again, BlockFi.com slash POMP. One more time, BlockFi.com slash POMP, and check them out. There may even be some discounts and surprises when you head on over to BlockFi.com slash POMP. Now, the second sponsor for this episode is Unstoppable Domains. That's right, Unstoppable Domains. Many of you probably have heard about YouTube taking down crypto-related content or MetaMask getting removed from the Google Play Store. Well, the decentralized web is going to clear up all of that. It's going to make censorship impossible. That's right, there's lots of companies working on it, but you can go to unstoppabledomains.com and get a .crypto domain today to build a decentralized website. You can also use that .crypto domain to get paid. I've got pomp.crypto and I use it to get paid. This is a huge improvement from sending Bitcoin and everyone and every wallet should use it. You can already go to Trust Wallet, Atomic Wallet, and Coinomi right now, type a .crypto domain into the send field and pay someone. In order to onboard the next billion people, we can't be talking about hex addresses anymore. Bitcoin's just too hard that way. Everyone uses domain names. It's a system that everyone who's been on the internet already understands. Additionally, Unstoppable Domains just launched a brand new browser, unstoppabledomains.com slash browser. Go to unstoppabledomains.com slash browser. They've built this browser to help everyday people with no technical insight like me access the decentralized web. Head on over to unstoppabledomains.com slash browser and give it a try. Take seconds to get onboarded and next thing you know, you'll be down the rabbit hole in the decentralized web unstoppabledomains.com slash browser. Don't forget, Off the Chain's not only a podcast, I also write an email every single morning. I wake my ass up, I work really hard, I say smart things, so go subscribe. Offthechain.substack.com. Again, offthechain.substack.com. Now let's get into this episode with Sam and I hope you enjoy it. 
Anthony Pompliano is a partner at Morgan Creek Digital. All opinions expressed by Pomp or his guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Morgan Creek Digital or Morgan Creek Capital Management. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, guys, bang, bang. I've got Sam here. We got a whole bunch of shit to talk about. Uh, You guys are absolutely killing the game. Uh, thanks for coming to do this. Thank you. I'm excited. Th- this all came together because you tweeted, I'm in New York and I have nothing to do. Who wants to meet? And I was quick with the tr- uh, the Twitter fingers. Yeah. I, and, <laughs> and in that like same Twitter thing, tweet storm, I said I was going to be here and I, someone was like, host a meetup. And I was like, uh, okay, we'll do it for our trend subscribers. And uh, we got like a couple hundred people who RSVP'd. And really? so we had to trim it down to 20. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm turn this, just, this way just a little bit. Yeah. Um, and right. uh, so... so- We'll see what happens tonight. Let's talk about uh, your life before the hustle. Um, yeah. What, what did you do? Where did you come from? Well, Just you said you're from background. the South, right? Yep, North Carolina. Uh, I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. And okay. then when I was 18, I moved to Nashville, Tennessee for college. Okay. Um, Where'd you go? Vanderbilt? To Belmont. No, I wasn't good enough. Uh, I went to the worst version, uh, overpriced, uh, below average school called Belmont University. <laughs> Um, aren't, aren't they all below average and overpriced? No, I think that a, a top 10 or top 20 university, okay. I think it's worth it actually. Like I'll tell my kids like go to state school or go to Ivy League. Okay. It's one or the fair. other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, kind of a, a bell curve type uh, right. approach to life. All right. uh, and my wife went to an Ivy League school and she, it, I see the benefits. And um, I So she's smarter. She's very smart. Um, and I got a track and field scholarship. So that's okay. why I went there. Um, but what sport? I, uh, or like what a- 400 meter. Okay. So, One lap. Uh, Tyrone Ross claims to be the fastest guy in all of tech and finance. You might have to give him a little race. What? What's he run? What's uh, he? What's I, his race? I don't. I uh, four hundred is what I'm he used to run. Fast anymore, but I bet I would beat him. Woo! So he. Uh, this is uh, the part where I sandbagged a little bit. He was training for the Olympics, <laughs> and uh, I think he got hurt or something. But I think that we might have to set this up. People would pay to come. Is see how old is he? Uh, I'm gonna guess he's. Late twenties to early thirties. Ah, uh, okay. Um, Tyrone, I don't think I know that name. I mean, I ran like forty-seven, forty-eight in the four hundred, which is better than most. It, it's that's a, pretty fast. I was a spectacular high school runner, an average college runner. Yep. But if you're an average D one athlete, you likely can beat a normal person. But I don't. This guy might sound legit. We're, we're gonna set this up now. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not fit though. Now I'm trying to get fit, but it depends how fit he is. All now. right. So you go to school, track and field. Yeah. Then I met this guy named Mike Wolf. Remember that? Maybe you do. Oh, you're from the south. You'll know American Pickers. Yeah. 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 Okay. So the main guy, Mike. I met him on the street, and I was a fan. And I just walked up to him. And no started, way. Yeah. And started shooting the shit. And he was like, I'm opening up the store here. We're going to record here. I go, Mike, let me work there. Let me run it. Yep. And he was like, well, not run it, but come work. Okay, so I worked there. And American Pickers, for those that don't know, is a show on television where they basically went to like random people's backyards, yeah. garages, whatever. And, and buy they, old motorcycles, old cars, gas pumps, anything old and cool. That whatever you cool would, shit they could find. Yeah, like things that you would see in like an Americana style home. Yep. We would rent stuff to music videos, country music videos, just cool stuff. And it was the second most popular show on cable at the time. Wow. Yeah, it was. it went like... Pawn Stars, American Pickers, and then like David Letterman. <laughs> what does that say about our society? That, Dude, that Pawn, Pawn Stars, Stars was... was number one. 
I mean, those guys are rednecks, and I'm a redneck, so I could say it, but it's really educational. Yeah, like, yeah. We had children from all over the world that would come. People loved it. Well, so my favorite part about Pawn Stars actually was it has very similar elements like a Shark Tank because there's the negotiation factor, and I think people are really, really yeah, drawn to the, the negotiating. Yeah, I mean, look, it's uh, it was like appears like this like one thing, but in reality, it's a educational, family-friendly. It was great programming, and people loved it. And we would have – it was a small store, maybe – 4,000 square feet, pretty okay. maybe 3,000, pretty small, but we would get thousands of people who would wait in line, who'd come from all over the uh, world. line around the block. Type yeah, stuff. Yeah, and, yeah, and it was in an area without a lot of stuff. And mm-hmm. so I was like, I should do something about this. So I opened, opened up a hot dog stand that expanded to multiple locations. It was called Southern Sam's, the wiener's as big as a baby's arm. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, that's where I learned how to do marketing. Where, and where, where did that name come from? And the slogan? Who thought of that? You? Yeah, I don't know. I just get, and then we would like give people discounts if they put their baby's arm in a bun with mustard on it, and it was like just funny. Um, and so, and what, what years is this pre or, po- or post social media being popular? Uh, right around okay. 2010. Okay. All right. So people could be sharing it on Facebook or whatever. Yeah, I don't even think Instagram it. was around, yep. or maybe it just started. But yeah, that was the point. Um, and. So I opened that up and then I started playing around the internet and I learned how to make money on the internet. Like I would open up like little e-commerce stores that would do okay. And I was like, the internet's where it's at. And so I was a junior, junior, senior in college. And I was like, I need to move to wherever the internet people mm-hmm. live, which I had never been to California. I didn't know anything. And I the internet just, people, where are yeah, they? <laughs> and I, there was this runner named Chris Lukasik. I don't know if I ever even said this, his runner named Chris Lukasik, and he was a professional runner and he quit running at his peak to join this thing called air bed and breakfast. And I was like, okay. what's this thing about? And so I emailed the founder and got a job interview and he was like, yeah, you could work here, come work here. And so I dropped everything and moved out to San Francisco and, and Brian Chesky was who you emailed Joe, Ke- Joe, Joe. Okay. Yep. Um, and it turns out the day, so I left school, sold everything. I hadn't graduated yet. I got out there and the Sunday before I was supposed to start, they go, you, your job was rescinded. Your job offer, we took it away. And it was because I lied on my resume. I had a, a, a criminal record. I, I had a misdemeanor yep. and I didn't tell the truth. And so I did not tell the truth, but like I somehow like vaguely, I was like, yeah, technically I'm telling the truth, but they caught it. Yep. Um, so I got, so are, are you like, oh shit? Or I, are you I just like, like, what are you thinking? I was, there was about three hours where I was just so depressed and, um, no, it actually happened on a Saturday and I was flying out that day and my mom had come down to help me move out okay. and we, and I was with her when we found out and she was like, just get on the plane anyway, you'll figure it out. So I flew out there. What a great mom. It was very supportive. <laughs> and she, and, and she goes, just start start something when you get out there, you'll figure it out. So I went out there. I started, a, um, I met a guy, uh, just randomly and he had, uh, was a few months into starting a project. I joined him as a co-founder and it was a roommate matching company. Okay. Not sophisticated, made okay money, but we sold it for a little bit of money, not a lot, like tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. And then after that is when I met Eric Bond, who you and I were talking about, and he had a conference called HustleCon. And and I knew knew Eric, sorry to interrupt, but uh, I knew Eric from when I worked at Facebook, had no clue that he had the conference. I just knew him as a colleague at Facebook. It it was small, maybe like 50 or 100 people. I don't even remember how many people, but it was a pretty small thing. And I was like, Eric, like, what do I do? What should I do? And um, he was like, well, I got this thing you could kind of play with. And so I kind of I, I took the original idea that he had in the domain name and I kind of changed it a little bit and I launched this thing called HustleCon, which is like a TED Talk-ish for entrepreneurs. That's how I explained it to my parents who didn't understand uh, uh, this game. But it was like a um, 
conference for non-technical founders. And it was called HustleCon. HustleCon. Which the whole idea of like hustle and uh, some people listening to this won't remember when the days when the word hustle was not a bad word. It was like hustler or (laughs) or a thief. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, there it was again, bell curve, right? Like there was days where hustler was a bad thing. They were going to steal your wallet. Then it was like, if you're a hustler, that means that you're just super ambitious self-starter. Like you're going to go knock down doors and be successful. And then it kind of went into like the hustle porn world of like everyone's a hustler. And you know, if you use that word then all of a sudden now you're a bad person yeah right so, so this was in like the twilight de- uh, yeah. days of the word hustle yeah and i think that we've done good with the word but it it it, it was good and so like I, I i quit my job and on the on the first day that investing were ended and i started this thing and the idea was i'm just gonna do it to kill time yep. and until i find my next business and i launched it on june 1st and the event was on July 15th or something like that. I only had six weeks and I use an email newsletter. I'm a self-taught copywriter. Mm-hmm. Um, I got really good at copywriting through a lot of self-practice and everything. And it made like 60 grand. And I was like, that's kind of cool. Let's do it again. That's more than like half of America makes. <laughs> yeah, it was great. It was really great. And I didn't know that it was going to make money. Yep. I didn't mean to. I mean, I did not mean to, but it just was better than expected. And I did it again. This next time it made like a quarter of a million. Mm-hmm. And so... And how how long are you waiting in between iterations? I did the first one and I started working on it in June. I did it. I took the money and put most of it in the bank. I gave myself five grand and I went and traveled the country on my motorcycle for like five months. <laughs> Because like American picker style, yeah, that's what I did. I just and I camped and I just did nothing. I just okay. I just explored and read books and well. And, do, and at the time, are you like I fucking made it? Like, are you like I came all the way here and a little? I made sixty k. I'm on my motorcycle. Well, and I had already made a little bit of money from my other thing, yep. and so like I was like, because I was like a little bit of a weirdo in high school and yep. grade school because I was always making money on YouTube or selling shit, and I was like, fuck those guys. Like, I did it. Am I allowed to curse here? Sorry. I was like, fuck those guys. Say whatever you want. And then, like, my high school wrote an article about it, and I was like, gotcha. Because they were, I was not a a great student. So they they were right, but I was an asshole. Every bad student who ends up doing anything successful has that moment where something that their high school does to like recognize them because they want to promote their alumni or whatever right. you're like man if the people reading this right now only knew that the teachers thought i was going to be nothing blah, blah blah whatever well look they were i mean i was not innocent i was just i, I was a punk because i was an angry teenager but uh i was very happy when it started working out so yeah it, that's when i started getting a little bit of um a little bit of fame amongst my like hundred friends or something mm-hmm. like uh you know, they like knew like, oh, maybe this guy's maybe not, he actually like, knows what he's he, doing. Maybe like he's doing okay. <laughs> and so on that trip, I read the biography of Ted Turner. Yep. Oh, it's a great one. Yeah, he's yeah, from yeah. the South. I was from the South, kind of Missouri, Tennessee. He can, was. Can like, we, hold on a second. Can we count Missouri as the South? It, up here, they'll call it that. Oh, in New York, or yeah, well, anything south of like Pennsylvania. Is yeah, that's the why south. I said kinda. <laughs> I identified as a Tennessean because I lived there for a long time. Yep. Um, that's fair. Okay. I, I, Missouri folks are. Not to you, but to like Californians, they're kind of rednecky, and I embrace that. Yeah. So. yeah. The only other uh, person in tech that I know from St. Louis is uh, Jack Dorsey, right? Yeah, and uh, Sam Altman. Ah, okay. Yeah. You got that. That's good uh, crew to be around. Yeah, Jack uh, grew up in my neighborhood or went to high school in my neighborhood. That's awesome. Um, so yeah, uh, not really the South, but to some people it is. Te- maybe technically south of the Mason-Dixon line, I don't, but I don't know. <laughs> it was a, it wasn't a slave state, so. Okay. That, Who knows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
All right. So, okay. So you ride around on your motorcycle. Oh, and I read his book. And I was like, this guy's from the South. And he's kind of like shoots from the hip. And he created CNN. And I don't care if you're a Fox News guy or a CNN guy. What you can't deny is that CNN has impacted culture. Absolutely. And that was really fascinating to me. Because when I was on my trip, I would go to really poor parts of Nevada, uh, poor parts of Alabama, poor parts of California, all over the world. And I'm like, well, I've been living in California with all these sophisticated people. Yet, like we're all the same we're all just people it the uh the difference in cultures couldn't be more contrasting like yeah well the, the part that's so crazy to me is did you read um was it a Hill, hillbilly uh eulogy el, 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 yeah right? elegy el, elegy I, I don't know people always make fun of me because i can't say that word um they're in the appalachian mountains and like you read so this i knew thing. people like that yeah and you read this thing and you're like you know what like actually a big portion of the population lives in a similar type of situation it's very different than a san francisco new york la you know whatever but at the end of the day, we're all humans, and we all actually share a lot of the same interests. We share a lot of the same uh, desires, the bias, and the emotions, fact is, it's the same amount of pe- same people in every place. So, like for example, people always say in the South, it's all redneck. Go to Birmingham, Alabama, it's all hipsters. Go to Austin, Texas, it's all hipsters. Go to Portland, it's all hipsters. Go to the suburbs of Birmingham or the suburbs of Portland, it's just families who are just trying to yep. pay the bills and raise good kids. Go to the rural part of Oregon, the rural part of Northern California, the rural part of Texas, so and it's just rednecks. It's all the same shit. Yep. Right. And when they I just did, talk a little different in each area, they just not even you talk. <laughs> go to, go up north in California, and they've got southern accents. Go to Bakersfield, uh, and they all talk the same. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of weird. Like, um, and so. During this trip, I was like, I want to create something big that can impact all these people or get really rich where like I can like have my ha- I just want to have a, a big impact yep. to impact people out here and not just in San Francisco and not just New York, but everywhere. And so there's, I- there's two ways to do the media thing. Either you build it from scratch and you make it successful or you're the richest man in the world like Bezos. And you just buy the Washington Post. There, yeah. Right? And so I was like, <laughs> one of those things is really interesting. And so I decided to, I did hustle cut again mm-hmm. and that was in um, April. So I waited nine months about, okay. did again and that made money. And I was like, I'm using all this money. I'm going to start a, what year an information this? company. Like 2016, 17? Yeah. Okay. Got yeah. It. Um, so you're going to create the information company? Yeah. And then, so we launched the hustle. We originally launched it in um, uh, fall of 2015. Okay. And, but in earnest, we really went at it in uh, April of 2017. Whatever it is, we're going to be four years old this April. Okay, 16. Yeah, Chelsea okay. 16. So in earnest- until, I'm not a mathematician, but yeah. 20 minus four is definitely 16. April 19th of 2016. <laughs> okay. That's when we really went hard. Got so it. I can so so as a project off and on, I've been working on this for a while. Yep. As um, a, the company that we're known for now, April to, uh, of 2016. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the original idea is what? When you say, I'm going to go after this information Well, company. the original idea was I'm going to build up this huge audience of entrepreneurial type folks, people who want to put their debt in the world through business. And then I want to create more products for them. Okay. And I didn't want to raise money. And so I did a ton of research and I realized that two things. One, email was the best platform to build a business on because it wasn't owned by one person. You know, if you build a business, if you build a business on Facebook, it's like you are building your store where the real estate or the landlord ups the ups the rent every month. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, not going to do that. So email seems best. Or in Facebook's case, they take away real estate as you continue trying to grow. Yeah. They decrease the reach um, and make you pay. And so I'm and, the only person who's allowed to say that because I ran uh, along with a number of other people the growth team for Facebook pages and I saw it in real time. Oh, you people, ran that as people were complaining. Yeah, I was uh, the product manager. We had an engineering manager, etc. So there's a you know kind of a cohort of people leading this team. And uh, Facebook had said to people, "Hey, come on, like put your business, you know, yeah. create all this content." And then over time, it 
not intentionally, not to hurt the businesses, but it's just more and more businesses join. There's only so much. Yeah, it's just supply and demand. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But what do the small business say? Small business persons out there with their pitchfork like, you took away my reach. Yeah, I'm not anti-Facebook. I own a lot of Facebook stock. I love Facebook. (laughs) I pay them a lot of money. I love Facebook. Um, But like, but it I, happens. You have the platform. I ain't gonna hate the player. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. You have the like platformers, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, Google, wherever. Yeah, they're just winning the game. Um, and so, uh, oh, so I looked at the reach on Facebook and all that and rented real estate. But then I also saw another thing, which is if you talk to a lot of e-com folks, they'll tell you that email is the most powerful channel. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'm gonna build up this huge audience of a like-minded group of people, and I'm gonna uh, monetize with email advertising because the email ad rates are super high because it's because mm-hmm. uh, it has the highest click through rates and the most engagement. And then I'm going to create more products and services for that one group of people. And I'm going to use all the profit from my advertising business to launch those to that audience and hopefully reach world domination starting right. with email. So <laughs> you saw this much earlier than most people saw. But basically what this whole idea, and this is coming, we, there's a million examples we can talk through, is the idea of if you build a really rabid, engaged, like highly um, kind of uh, powerful audience once those people subscribe to what you stand for, what you're doing, et cetera, there's all kinds of different ways to monetize that audience. Yeah, the easiest example is look at the Kardashians. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the I always forget their names, but the Jenner woman who is a billionaire. Chris because, Jenner, yep. Well, the mom. I, yep. I, I'm talking about the daughter, the one who has the makeup that sold uh, her. Kylie. Bill- yeah, okay. I feel like I'm taking a quiz right now. All right, go ahead. <laughs> they, uh, so she, Kylie Jenner- She had one with Instagram and yep. she sold makeup on it and it became a multi-hundred million dollar a year business that was valued at multiple billion dollars. Yep. That's the game. It's really, it. It's very simple. That's what we were going to do. Mm-hmm. And so- um, How do you- gr- So you start this email. How do you grow the email? Because so most when, people say, hey, that's a great idea. I'm going to go do that, but they don't get to a million subscribers. So like when I stuff. started this industry, this business and kind of still, I knew nothing about media- Okay. Nothing. That's actually like, probably an advantage. It, it was totally an advantage because people would be like, wow, you're breaking the rules. I'm like, I don't fucking know what the rules are. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not trying to be a badass. I just don't know anything. I'm an idiot. Yeah. And But what I knew how to do from years of studying and years of selling hot dogs and years of just salesmanship is I knew how to get people to believe what I wanted them to believe. I knew how to capture. <laughs> that sounds. That's a, it's a fantastic skill. Look, that sounds negative, but I'm using it in a good way. Um but I knew how to get people to, to, I knew how to capture their attention and their emotion. So uh, Scott Adams has done a fantastic job over the last couple of years dissecting this idea of like weapons grade uh, persuasion, right? Yeah, so, he did it with Trump. He he's like, Trump. here's why yeah, Trump yeah. is, and yeah. so I knew how to do that just by talking to someone. I knew like um, what to do. And so I was a self-taught copywriter. I locked myself in the bedroom for six months and I would just take the best-selling books, best-selling sales pages of all time and I would copy them out by hand. And that's why I learned how to become a really good copywriter. And so like when you're doing that, what are you learning exactly? So you think about this. Do you play an instrument? Uh, I can drum on the table, but that's about it. <laughs> okay. Well, if you learn how to play guitar, usually what you do is you don't like start writing songs. You start mm-hmm. learning other people's music, whether yep. it's sheet music or you like look, turn Green Day on. You like... Billy Joe, where's he putting his fingers? Okay, I'll learn that song. Yep. And then I'm going to learn Jimi Hendrix and then Nirvana. And you start seeing the patterns that make a successful song. And then eventually you say, all right, I understand what I like and I understand best practices for this type of genre and this type of genre. I can combine here, here, here and make my own song. That's what copywriting, that's my methodology for learning okay. copywriting. So I'm like, all right. Any books that you remember being like, wow, I learned a ton from that one? Yeah. So Stephen King on writing is a great book. Mm-hmm. And then um, Catcher in the Rye, I just wrote that out. And then a ton of sales pages. So like, 
sale like sales letters from the 50s 60s and 70s when they used to mail people stuff mm-hmm. to get them to buy like an encyclopedia mm-hmm. i found all the best-selling ones and i copied them all out by hand oh interesting okay and so really it was just a repetition of actually handwriting and i think i have uh, a notebook stacked to here if i remember the science correctly uh there's a lot of studies that show if you sit and you write something down you actually remember it uh much yep. higher than if you type it or it's called else. it's called copy work it's a learning technique that we actually used to use in public schools but for some reason we went away with it because it's really boring and not fun but it's very effective um ben, benjamin franklin used to write about this he was like yeah here's how you learn really? um mm-hmm. it's really effective it's okay like, it's not like i'm smart i stole that <laughs> <laughs> so you're doing this you begin learning the copywriting skill where, so, so I where knew, do you go from there? Yeah, so I knew how to like write content. I mean, I think that I was born with that talent mm-hmm. and I harnessed the skill. Mm-hmm. I learned the skill. And you enjoyed it probably. A little bit. I enjoyed the result, unfortunately, more than the journey. Okay. But I, I was willing to do it. And uh, it was it was kind of fun. It was like a love-hate thing. Okay. Um, And so, I mean, it was f- always fun being good at something and I was pretty good at it. So I learned how to get traffic to a website in doing that, I knew what emotions would get people to share things. And okay. I studied it like crazy. I just like would, I would look at Upworthy. What's it called? Upworthy? Remember that clickbait? Oh, set? yeah. That thing was massive Yeah, for I was a like, while. what are they doing? How do they do that? Okay, so I yeah. learned all these and, best practices. And so Upworthy, for those that don't know, was basically a site where they would find viral videos online. They would put it in their like very specific wrapper. And yeah, all of like a sudden you're not going to believe number seven. Yeah. Like the top 10 scariest photos from the 9-11 tragedy, number four will make you cry. Yep. So that's a famous tagline called, it's from a sales page. Uh, that the Wall Street Journal did an ad and it, and, it, and then the ad said they laughed at me when I told them I could play the piano well and then I sat down and started playing and the point is like the story of how when he started playing they all started loving him and that's yep. why you should learn how to play piano that's what it comes from it comes from Got that it. famous headline um, and so I learned copywriting, and so I started writing a ton of blog posts. Mm-hmm. And the first month or two, we got almost a million people to the website. Okay, these aren't normal blog posts. Yeah, right. So, it's not like, hey, here's how you send a cold email. No, what, what no, I did do something about? like that. But the the most the first blog post we ever wrote was I knew a guy who was making fifty or sixty grand a month gaming the Kindle system, and what he would do is he would plagiarize best selling books on how to sleep with women, and then he would either just put a sexier cover and then buy reviews or he would send it to the Philippines. They would rewrite it and then he would put it back up and he was making a lot of money. And I was like, that's pretty scammy. Um, but basically what he was doing was he one discovered a system. He learned how to hack it. And, he and, then, he basi- it. and then he basically, but not himself. Usually he actually had a whole team that he was using. to yeah. optimize, So he didn't even have to do any work. Yeah. And I was like, that's really, sh- I don't like that, but it's like, I love it and I don't like it. You know what I mean? I'm like, this is like a juicy story. Yeah. It's one of these things where it's almost like, I love the initiative. I love the mentality. I hate the execution. Yep. Right. Yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Like, could you take that same skill set and apply it to something yeah, else? It, You'd be so much better off in life. Exactly. And so we wrote about that the first week and the second week we, um, me and my co-founder, John, did he know you wrote it by the way? Yeah. Um, we was hit it, him. Was he, he happy? We, he, no one could track it to him. Oh, okay. Got we it. use fake names. And then the next week we, um, romance novels has the most liquidity in the marketplace and so more people buy it and so it was weird it was like the top categories were like women who wanted to have sex with werewolves women who wanted to have sex with black guys and women who wanted to have sex with um military men and so we just like plagiarized some book and put a cover that kind of combined like werewolf black werewolves army sex (laughs) (laughs) okay so basically but you were using data to figure out what do people want i mean data and like we just scanned it every day and like what's going on here and so we wrote a book uh we became a bestseller book we gained the system and became a bestseller 
And, Incredible. And then the joke was we put in our LinkedIn best-selling author. Yep. Yeah, of yep. Captivating Claire. That was the name of the book. There's a lot of people who have done that. Yeah. And so I was like, <laughs> that's scammy, but let's do it. And so we got a ton of traffic from that. Because you wrote like a how to, how, how did we do this? Yep. Right. And I'm sure a bunch of people are like, oh shit, like that's Yeah, we cool. got a lot of hate for it. And, but the people who we wanted to love it, loved it. Yep. And that's how we got our first five or 10,000 subscribers in a week. Okay. And so when you're doing this, uh, it's one thing to write a blog post, you get a bunch of traffic. How do you actually, inside of that blog post, get them to sign up for the So newsletter? that's another copywriting thing. You yep. have to understand, it's called, uh, you probably, uh, you may or may not know this, ADA, Attention, Interest, Desire, Action. Wait, uh, say it again. Uh, ADA, A I D A, Attention, Interest, Desire, Action action okay attention grab their attention and mm -hmm. and 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 do something it can't be shocking or anything grabs their attention get them interested by getting them to go down the slippery slope and tell them interesting facts about uh whatever it is make them desire it by telling them benefits and features of this product mm -hmm. and then get them to act by specifically and clearly explaining what to do got it okay and so i would have pop-ups that followed that formula or the whole website would follow that formula where it would be like a pop-up that said oh shit that got your attention and then the interest was, okay, look, you get a ton of pop-ups in your life, but this one will be will be meaningful. Or like, if you and if you don't like it, email me and I'll Venmo you a dollar. Okay, so you're interested now, like you're like curious. So desire this website. I don't even remember, so I'm making this up. This website is actually like you should enter your email for these reasons. Just enter your email right here and check your email box in one minute, and you're gonna get the best damn confirmation email you've ever read. Mm -hmm. Like something like that. Yep. And then people basically, it's almost like they can't resist seeing what the confirmation email is. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that's super, all, super smart. That's all that's, and, then the, and then the confirmation email was really, really clever. And if you actually Google the hustle welcome email, loads of people write about it. Um, so that's how... But, but, but then when we were starting, we weren't even a daily email... Like okay. I was still trying to figure out what the business is and how. What were you doing? We were. I was just blogging a ton, and then every week, two times a week, I would email out the new blog posts. <laughs> Pretty smart. Okay. Yeah, and then I was like, "Wait a minute, let's just only make it an email because the math works out to where fifty percent of people are opening up our emails, and only ten percent of those people click through. Like, let's just give them all the information in like, the email. Yeah. Like, who cares? Like, your phone's a phone. Like, the phone is the same size no matter what. Who cares if they're on Safari or in the in the mail app? Yep. Like, if I have so, their attention, let's... So here's my question is when you make that switch, there's a lot of people who say, I don't want to move all of my content to the email because now all of a sudden people can't discover it on the web. Were you still posting it on the web as, as well as in the email? Yeah, but not a lot of people would use it. And so that just made... that. And then they had to subscribe. Yep. And it, it. it basically just forced people into that. Mm -hmm. And now, and what it also does, I guess, is it takes you from a pull to a push type relationship with where uh, with the user because now you're actually sending it to them when you want rather than have to go to your website and, and pull the content to yep, them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So you get to 5, 10, 20,000 subscribers kind of early. You're blogging. The first year was some number between 100 and 200. That's pretty good. It was good. Yeah. It was and it's good. all through blogging. Yeah, I don't think we spent a dime okay. on marketing. At what point do you decide, one, to do paid marketing, and then two, do you do any referral stuff at any point? Oh, um, when I launched HustleCon, I uh, hacked together this referral program where people okay. would refer someone, and if they bought a ticket, they would get 50 bucks. So if I get you to buy a ticket to we HustleCon- We did a bunch Con, of different schemes. There I was, get $50. There were some schemes, like if you get 100 friends to enter their email, you get a free ticket. If yep. you get someone to buy a ticket, you get $200. Like, How did you track it? It was really ghetto. I mean- our conferences, the second, the first one I did had 350, the second one had 600. So it wasn't that hard to track it just yep. in a spreadsheet. Yeah. That's um, not bad. It, was, it wasn't very hard to but track. But it, it goes back to the idea that I think a lot of people, when they see some of this stuff, they're like, oh my God, the hustle is so smart. Like they used all this technology, blah, blah, whatever. And you're like, no, nah, I'm we not use a technical, spreadsheet. By the way, I'm super not technical. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
No, the, it's oh, those spreadsheets. Like, uh, I built this thing. I paid my friend five hundred dollars to build it, and he built it in such a way that I could just go on Heroku, click export, then sort and match. Like, it was like this, like really like hacked together way. Yep. It wasn't sophisticated, or I don't I mean, kind of sophisticated, but not really. Okay, so you're doing that. You've got the referral program, and then at some point you say, "Hey, let's do paid ads." What was the decision process there to start? Doing because paid? I knew early on what an email could be worth. I knew early on that like I did the math. I'm like, all right, if they stay for this long, which I think they will, and we charge us so much for advertising and our fill rate is 90%, an email could be worth X. Mm -hmm. Can I go out and acquire an email for cheaper than that? And so I would spend a few dollars and I would get that and then I would spend more and more and more and that's kind of how it worked. And at the same time that you're spending more and more on an aggregate uh, kind of investment, were you also driving down the CAC of each email? Oh, yeah. Right, so you're getting much better at it as well. So your dollar becomes more efficient on the spend side. Mm -hmm. Got yeah. it. But and, once you start spending a lot of money, then it goes up. Of course. Um, and this is all through like Facebook and Google or were you yep. finding really niche platforms as well? At first, I was. it was a one-man show or two-man show. It was me and John and Kara and like two or three other people. So I didn't have a lot of bandwidth. Yep. And I didn't know anything. Like I, 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 had, I had to learn Facebook like yep. on, on the fly. So... um. No, we sponsored uh, mostly one or two channels. Got it. Twitter, link, just the big programmatic ones. Yep. And then as you're doing this, uh, and now we'd spend all over the place, other emails, uh, everything. We've, we've even tried billboards, everything. Mm -hmm. And as you're doing this, uh, how are you measuring whether it's working or not? Like, I think one of the big things is like, it's very authentic for you to be like, oh, I didn't know what I was doing. Like, we were just kind of like throwing a bunch of stuff at the wall. And were you just looking at like, oh, there's more people signing up for the email list. So like things are going well. Or... Well, so I knew the math behind it. I always, because we are bootstrapped, I like every dollar had to turn into more dollars. Mm -hmm. Every dollar spent had to turn into more dollars. And I knew the math behind it. I, I, I modeled, modeled out what the business could be. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I think this could, like this business could work. I mean, it made sense. And then, so half that answer is, well, this the math just works out that this will work, mm -hmm. and then the other half is emotional. And like some days it was like, no way this can't work, and then other days it was like, I think it's working. So mm -hmm. the math always showed that it could work, mm -hmm. but and then emotionally I was like, oh yeah, we got a lot of traffic, it's gonna work. And then other days like, oh, it's not gonna work. And around this time, Business Insider sold for six hundred million dollars. So mm -hmm. I was like, Henry Blodgett, yeah, yeah. I was like, well, wild dude. story about Henry that a lot of people don't know. He was barred from the financial industry. Yeah, I know all right. about him. Yeah, I yeah. can tell you all about him. Okay, he start, and he started that company with Kevin Ryan. You know who that is? I do not. Who's that? Kevin. It was Kevin Ryan's idea. Kevin okay. Ryan founded Guilt. Ah. He founded MongoDB, which is publicly traded. Mm -hmm. He founded AdWords, or he's the CEO of AdWords before it sold to Google. It was called DoubleClick <laughs> and then changed yep. to AdWords. He sold, uh, you know, Zola. Mm -hmm. He started that. Wow. Yeah. So he's been around. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, like I said, I did research. I know, like, I know all these guys because mm -hmm. I would just cold email them like crazy. Well, the, the part that uh, with Blodgett that was so interesting was uh, I think he was a financial analyst. He basically got barred. He was and, kind of a scapegoat a little bit. Yeah. And he got barred for basically what I think a lot of people were doing at the time was they would write publicly to like clients and say, like, you know, hey, we have a buy rating on this stock. And then internal emails would show them be like, this is a dog shit stock. Right. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of like they were saying one thing publicly, one thing negatively, which according to the rules is wrong, but it was more of like a, everyone's doing it it's wrong it's not enforced and then all of a sudden like we need two or three people to like clamp down on he yeah one of them. and look he didn't trade again but he still crushed it so good for him well so when he started i think it was silicon uh alley, alley first right um there was a big debate like is he allowed to do this because he's technically talking about stocks and finance and whatever as long as he didn't own it as long as he didn't own it and as long as he didn't manage money and so it was a way for him to basically put that knowledge that he had to work right and obviously and he's he badass 600 million dollar company he's great 
Yeah. Um, he's real smart and very, uh, he's a great writer. Um, For sure. so, so those guys sold and I was like, something's here. I think I could, I just, usually when I start stuff and now I like own a couple other businesses or a part owner in some and invest in a little bit, like I usually like, so I think of like, all right, step one and step two is this. Step 10 is like, maybe it'll be bigger than Business Insider. Maybe I could turn this into Fox and own like all these things. Maybe this could be uh, Gartner or something huge. But, and just to get close to that, I'm going to do this email thing and then I'll just make money off of it. And then steps <laughs> three, four, five, and six, I'm like, I don't know what those steps are, but I'll I, figure it out. I'm super confident I'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But I think it's the perfect uh, balance between like I kind of know like what my north stars like where I'm going. Right? right. It's like I want this to be really big, but I, if I try to jump to step five or six, then like I'm screwed because I'll never start one and two. But yeah, if I totally. literally just start like let's start walking, right? And let's do step one, step two. All of a sudden, like it becomes clear what step three is. Yeah, right? yeah. And then three and that, becomes clear for and four, I think five, that's what, six. That's exactly. what holds a lot of people back. So it's yeah. like I'm gonna drive. Like there's a huge mountain. Uh, 20 miles away I'm gonna drive towards it and I know that I just have to uh, there's um, I can only make a left right here so I'll make a left and then I when I get there I'll figure out to uh, you know yeah it, it's one of these things where um, a lot of times founders will come to me like hey, I have this idea but whatever and one of the things I always say to them is what is the one thing that you think that you could accomplish in the next three weeks right or the next four weeks and usually it's like dumb stuff like oh I could get the website built or I could do that you know like whatever it is it's, it's not something that's like actually material to what their end goal would be but I'm like, if you can get that done, I bet that you're then personally interested enough to then go to the next step. Yeah. And I've done, I've started enough businesses that were on a successful on a small scale to know, to learn, like, you, you figure it out. You know, yeah. it's like when I travel now, I'll just like show up and I'm like, we'll get a hotel. We'll figure it out. I'm perfectly fine winging most everything. So, but this also brings, uh, I think Silicon Valley is the best in the world at doing this, where it's kind of like this experimentation iteration type mentality where people will start things and there's not a lot of pressure on it either, right? Like it, for most businesses around the world, if you go and you talk to entrepreneurs who want to start these businesses, they literally now will be like, I want to build a $10 billion business. And here's like my grand plan to get there. And whether it's a business uh, plan or some sort of deck, like they've got this very specific, this is what I'm going to go do. I think more the Silicon Valley mindset is like, hey, I'm kind of like tinkering with this thing. It seems to kind of be working. Uh, I think we can make a little bit of money on it. And like, I think that it could be bigger, but like, we're going to figure it out. Well, cool shit. A lot of cool shit starts small. Airbnb, when they had their pitch deck, they're like, we think this could become a $100 million company. That's what Jeff Bezos (laughs) said. He goes, I think... I think if we're lucky, we might be able to become a hundred million dollar company. Yeah, like it's, and that's like he just really, spent more than that on a house. Totally. <laughs> and I listened to an interview with their first investor, Ma- Madonna. What's the fun? I forget. Um, uh, Madrona. Madrona. Right, yeah. And that's what he said. He goes, Jeff said, you know, we might be able to sell a hundred million dollars worth of stuff. Um, Crazy. So, and that's like a big number. Yeah. So, yeah, and and I think both work. Like Peter Thiel, he's like, fuck, don't iterate have this grand vision yeah. and and so both both work but yep. what regardless you have to be flexible and and that's hard for a lot well, of people and, and i think part of the like the peter Thiel, keith raboyce like those guys who uh what they believe is almost like you you know what you want to build and you bend the world to you right versus other people who say hey i'm going to start doing this and uh then i'll kind of figure it out as i go I actually don't think those two things are that dissimilar, right? I think that they're actually very, very similar uh, because one is more of like a vision type. I know what I want to build and then the iteration stuff I'll figure out along the way versus somebody's more focused on the iteration and they don't know yet what it'll become. But when you put it's, those two together, it's it similar. Both You got to be bold for both of them and you learn along the way for both yeah. of them. It, it's, uh, it is a little similar. I mean, like 
because I didn't have a lot, I wanted to do this one so I could get like a hit. Now that I've had a hit, maybe my next one, I'll raise a ton of money or I'll bet a lot of my money and just be like, man, fuck it. Let's bet it all. Yep. And th that will be exciting. But regardless, I will learn along the way and kind of deviate slightly. Did you think that starting the media side was really risky? No, not at all. Why not? Because I felt like... Like most people would have said, I have something that works. I'm making some money on the conferences. Why would I ever start doing something else and spend money to do that? So I did it the other way around. I have this conference. I know it works. If the media side fails, I can always do that. It was the other way around. It was like, or I could always sell hot dogs. Or I actually saved $500. I was like, I'll fly home and live in my mom's house. So you are very similar to uh, kind of the classic founder who looks at risk very differently than most people, right? Because most people who have like a corporate job would look at that risk and say, there's no way I can take this risk. Instead, you're like, look, if I take this risk and XYZ goes wrong, I have all these other options. Well, I, I look at, there's two different ways that I convince myself all the time to do it because I have to, you know, you get scared sometimes. The first is if I fail and everyone sees it, they're going to want to hire me. <laughs> <laughs> and and if I'm starting a media company, by definition, I got to get a lot of eyeballs. Everyone will know me. And if I fail, yep. I'm going to get a job. Yep. Um, Every corporation loves to hire the failed entrepreneur because yeah. they know that they're super ambitious, they're resourceful, et cetera. Yeah. I was like, I'll be able to get a job probably. And I've like never really had like a normal job. I was like, that'd be, that'd be like putting a noose on my neck, but like whatever. Um, and the second thing was I always want to protect the downside. And so what, what I mean by that is in my head, so I've like, slept outside before when I had some issues. And I was like, so worst case scenario, I'll sleep outside. I was like, did I like that? I didn't love it, but I would do it. So what's like a step up from that? Well, would I be willing to like tell my parents I totally failed and, and they would accept me? I guess. Okay. okay. I wouldn't love it, but yeah, I, I like, do it. <laughs> like I'll, I'll accept that. I'm a, that's a fine downside. Therefore, I found the lowest I could go. And so I set aside $500 and I was like, there, the downside's protected. This is the emergency fund to get home. Yeah. I was like, there's nothing to worry about. Yep. Like I have just accepted that the worst case might, I've accepted already the worst is going to happen. I've planned for it. I have no downside. Yep. That's how I look at it. So you've now grown this to over a million subscribers. I yeah. Think so you well over, we close in on 2 million soon. We're, yeah. And um, yeah, it's up there. And uh, it, we had like, on a good day, like tens of thousands of new people a day. Yeah, um, that's awesome. And uh, it's a good company. It, it's eight figures in revenue. Um, all and, a, all advertising until recently when you added subscription. Yeah. So I do. the The plan was the beginning. Uh, from the beginning was build up this massive audience and start selling stuff for them. And when I started my company, I did loads of research. Mm -hmm. Like I just wanted to understand best practices, and I would read biographies, and I would reach out to experts, and I would just interview them and ask everything I could, just so I could copy what worked and not copy what didn't work. Mm -hmm. And I could just save myself years of heartache. And so um, I realized when we were getting ready to launch this new product, I did the same process. And I started showing advisors and investors like the reports I was putting together and they're like, oh, just sell that. And so I read the mm -hmm. book of by getting... Uh, Gartner, uh, the guy started Gartner, getting getting Gartner. You know, okay. Gartner is. Uh, I know the company. I don't know the person. Okay, yeah. Gartner. It's a big ten billion dollar year research thing, and uh, they're like, "That's a big thing. Just do that." And I was like, <laughs> "Oh yeah, you're right." And I love doing this research, and so we launched Trends. So Trends.co, and uh, go sign up at yeah, Trends.co, and then if you enter in the code POMP, P is P O P O M P. Yep, you'll get a fifty percent discount. Oh, look at that. I, Pomp's got your back can, always. Can you remind me to make that code? Yeah. <laughs> remind me to make that code. Um, it's already made now while you're time you're listening. Um 
Where was so, it? So you oh, launched Trends. Yeah, so we launched that uh, a, a little while ago, and that's already a seven-figure subscription business. And so with this business, I think what we can do is then create a higher-end one for specific to certain mm -hmm. industries. And I think that we can build a $100 million a year business that's very profitable with 30% advertising, 30% $300 to $400 a year subscription business, and then a 30 or $50 million a year high-end subscription business. So right now, how much are you charging for Trends? It's cheap. It's $300 a year. And what you get is we have a team of analysts. And with Trends, all we do is uncover different opportunities in the entrepreneurial world. Okay. And so we do two things. The first thing is we do case studies on cool and interesting companies mm -hmm. or interesting uh, companies or industries. So for example, I went to Vegas and stayed at the MGM Grand and I was like, how the fuck is this hotel so big? This is crazy. And so we went and did a report on the top 10 uh, biggest publicly traded hotel businesses and explained like, okay, so like the secret sauce is basically, not the secret sauce, but the metrics that matter most is occupancy rate yep. and average uh, re revenue per room. Mm -hmm. And if you nail those, it'll work. It's game over. Yeah. And then we went further and said, here are the top growing sectors that that all the experts as well as our data has shown. And so it's like different lifestyle hotels, things mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing we do is we've created technology that crawls the web and finds really fast growing things. So for example, uh, we got an alert that uh, sleep. So people are searching for products that make you sleep better far more than meditation things. And meditation is a huge business. Mm -hmm. And so we flagged that and we told our readers about it. And then we wrote where are the opportunities within the sleep biz, uh, mm -hmm. sector and who is capitalizing on it, who has interesting opportunities and interesting businesses, and what do we think will win. Mm -hmm. And then we have a private community of thousands of people where you can discuss those. And so I fly around the country and I meet with do meetups for those groups and all types of things like that. And so who is on the receiving end of this? Like, who's the ideal trend subscriber? Is this somebody who's an entrepreneur, an investor, bold? It's really wide. So okay. it's guys like you and me who are just schemers. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I have my business, but I'm always like, tinkering like people come in here and they pitch me wild ideas and i literally the more wild and like schemey that it is right meaning like i'm gonna hack this together and this together and this together and then like i'm gonna have this like business and like oh yeah i have no employees and blah blah whatever and i'm like all right like, let's go try to figure that out like that's actually way more fun than the like i'm gonna go raise 20 million dollars and i'm gonna go build this hardware startup yeah like, well eh. i i use scheming positively which is i'm always like like if you go to a restaurant if you're the type of person that goes to a restaurant and be like Man, if they move that counter over here, so then the barista didn't have to turn her back all the way and only turned her back a little bit and then put that thing here, that would actually, they could probably serve a hundred more customers. Yes. So it's, people, it's actually resourcefulness is like what the real word is, but scheming is a way more memorable word to use. I use schemers. I always say yeah. ABS. I always be scheming. And so um, <laughs> the, <laughs> the subscribers are like people like you and me who are investing in new things or who I have my own business. And so I'm not going to start another business now, but I'll apply like... What I what what did the hotel industry do? That's cool. Is they franchise their stuff. Maybe I should franchise my conferences, kind of like mm -hmm. the hotel industry. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So a lot of freelancers, a lot of people who own small businesses, a lot of executives at big companies, mm -hmm. people who are just thinking all the time about optimizing so their business. People ask me all the time, like what content I consume, right? And one of the things I tell them is like my favorite thing to do is read profiles or biographies on people and businesses, and the reason is because you don't have them like writing like, here's the lesson plan for today. You just see what they do. But I could literally, you could rattle off Ted Turner, Sam Walton, uh, Ken Langone. Like you just go down the line of all of these people. I've read all of those. And, yeah. And, and you learn. You learn so much. That's right? why I love your wife's work. Yeah, she, she, uh, she one day says to me, she goes, um, uh, so she's got the profile, right? And uh, she's curating all of these. And uh, she's like, I really enjoy this work. And I was like, why? And she never used the word learn. But that's basically what she was saying. 
And what it was so fascinating to me was she had never thought about starting a business before. She never thought about any of this stuff. And she's like, I feel like I just understand more about how people build things by reading their stories more so than I would get out of reading like a, here's how to start a business book or like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. here's how to be a CEO. And so that's what trends is, is we just look at case studies Yep. and take, and we make recommendations but take from it what you will. Got it. All right. I want to talk about like new media models. And I'm going to throw a couple of uh, companies out there that I think you've looked at or have opinions about. And we can kind of talk through them. So uh, the first is Substack, which is obviously in the email uh, world that you're in. Um, and so this business... You're, are you an investor? Uh, no, I'm an advisor. Um, but the, the business that they are building is... Uh, essentially empowering a whole new generation of people to build a business that previously they couldn't, right? So it removes all the technical uh, friction to starting these email subscription businesses. Now, you probably had to build out a lot of this stuff initially, and now if you were starting again, you could start on a Substack to some degree. Yeah, I, uh, sorry, my shoe's cutting off my blood circulation here. Um, we might have an amputee in the building. Yeah, oh, can they see my feet on camera? Nah, you're All right, good. good. I'm gonna go shoeless. Um, <laughs> shoeless Sam has arrived. <laughs> yeah, I got a hole in my boot. Uh, <laughs> All right, Substack. Yeah. Um, okay, so that. By the way, the grabbing of the attention. We just got everyone's attention when he went shoeless. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, Substack. Um, okay, so I went to their office mm -hmm. and met with the founders. They're like the type. I say this in a good way because I'm part of this. They're like nerds. Yep. And those types of people will win. A lot of people don't know Chris Bess, who's uh, one of the founders and the CEO, uh, previously was the founder of Kick, which yep, is a billion dollar company. I do know company, that. Right? Um, so I would bet on them to win. Mm -hmm. The current iteration will not win. My prediction is. Why? I think this because um, I don't think there are that many people who will have paid newsletters. Okay. At, and there definitely won't be a lot of people who have it at $5 a month. Okay. Um, what I th where I think they could win is by having that as well as an enterprise version, which I talked to them the other day. I go, guys, I'll give you $10,000 a month to make this. And the enterprise version would include what that they currently don't so have. So right now- like, and, and the reason why I want to tease this out is this is the exact type of conversation that I think a lot of people aren't privy to. Like this happens behind closed doors, but you're somebody who I'll says- I'll tell you what I told them. I'll yeah, tell everyone what I told yep. them. I tweet about this all the time. The, okay, so the whole media world, is trying. a lot of people are trying to do paywalls. Mm-hmm. The way most people do it is fucking horrible. <laughs> they don't know what they're doing it in such a bad way. Mm -hmm. And the software that exists for paywall, there's very few. Yep. And the ones that do exist are horrible. Yep. They are so bad. It's so bad that a lot of people try to build it in-house. Yes. Right. Yeah, yeah. New York Times builds in-house. Yep. Um, and like, meanwhile, every blo free blogger uses WordPress. Yep. A lot of newsletters use MailChimp. Why is there not a good thing that combines all the, like does like a good uh, uh, paywall software? And it's awful. You Someone can... Like, I'm not convinced it would be massive, massive. I mean, it's all relative, but I do think it could be a billion dollar company if it hits 100 million. Like, I think it could hit 100 million in revenue. And if you're an yep. enterprise SaaS and do that, you're considered a unicorn. Um, so, if they iterate to build that, I think it could be a lot bigger. Okay. And it's all about the enterprise you think unlocks a whole bunch of revenue that they, pre that they otherwise couldn't get. Yeah. Or, or, Maybe they could do it the way they're doing it, but they have to change it a little bit. Like they have to have proper sales pages. They ha like I want them to be the Shopify of paywall of co Shopify of content. 
Mm-hmm. So the the one thing, and, and I've told them this a bunch of times, uh, that I knew very early on, like, whoa, these guys are on the right track, right, at least, and kind of head in the right direction. Uh, I kept pinging them early on and being like, hey, can you guys do this? Can you guys do this? And they'd always come back with like a, yeah, we'll put it down on the list, but uh, not right now. So they and focused. It, and it was just super, super focused. And it was like stupid stuff that I wanted. Like, hey, can you add so that somebody could put their first name in so when I email them, I can use their first name rather than email? Yeah, that like has email? a much higher engagement rate. Well, they were like, no. <laughs> Good. Right? Because they were just like, look, this is what we want to build, right? And like, we don't care about all the other kind of things that are nice to have, not need to have. To well, and, and that, I think that they're going to win, even though I think that their product right now is, I think their product, I think it's an amazing early version. Yes, I, I agree with that. And I think that- um, I think they would agree with that. Yeah, and I'm per- and but I would bet on that because you have to look at what, what something can be. I mean, they're so, yep. it was like two years old, a year old. Oh, I don't even think, so. yeah, maybe. They, and they only have four, four or eight employees. Yeah, they just hired a couple more. They have go to Substack.com. They have tons of roles that they're hiring for. Yeah. <laughs> I went to their office the other day. It was completely empty. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, what's going on, guys? And they go, well, we're just getting ready to hire, but we're making sure we get the right people. I love that. So yeah, yeah. those founders, I think, will win. If they iterate, I think they're for sure going to win. I would totally bet on them. I love it. Um, the Athletic, for those that don't know, is a subscription uh, sports content site. Think kind of like ESPN, but you pay ten bucks a month, sixty bucks a year. They went around the country. They found uh, the best local sports writers at all these local papers and said, "Hey, we'll bump up your salary. Why don't you come write for our site rather than your local paper?" They got a bunch of people to do this, like three hundred plus of them, uh, and they built a really, really big business uh, yeah, pretty quickly. I think it could be great. Um, what do you not like? I about don't it? like their cap table. Uh, if I was the founder, which I've talked to a bunch of times, he was like always having a fundraise. They've raised maybe a hundred million dollars. Oh, really? I think. Um, yeah, I know nothing about the cap. You, you can so look yeah. it up. I, many, many tens of millions. It's it's. I mean, in they just the, took thirty million dollars from Bedrock, so it's probably yeah, yeah. in the hundred million range, seventy okay. million. Um, I bet you the founders own less than ten percent each. Mm-hmm. Um, if they don't care about that, great. I wouldn't want to be in that position, but um, the business. If if they say if if what they say publicly is true, it's a sixty million dollar a year company, mm-hmm. so that's pretty valuable and it's recurring In terms revenue. Of revenue. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think they said they have a million subscribers mm-hmm. and a, sixty bucks a year. Yeah, yeah. So it's really interesting. Um, bullish. I don't know if it's I'm bullish yet at a five hundred million dollar valuation, but I would fall on the more optimistic side. Had you asked me a year ago or no two years ago, I'd been like, that's crazy. That's ridiculous. Why? What? Why did you change your mind? Just because they executed? I thought subscription revenue was a horrible idea. Most people could never pull it off. And now I think it's the future. Whoa. Okay. So it, unpack that a little bit more. Why did you change so radically? Because I saw the results that we have. Um, I saw that consumers, this whole fake news thing that Donald Trump started. Mm-hmm. I don't care what you think about him. He's right. Like. Oh, yeah. Oh, we can go way down that rabbit hole. The reason why half the country hates that he says it is because they know it's right. He's right. And the reason why the other half of the country likes that he says it is because they know he's right. He's right. Um, I have owned clickbait websites. Mm-hmm. I was able to get millions of uniques to different... Of course. It's by, very easy. By the way, easy. it's not an online thing. It's not a one publication thing. It's literally if you go to the grocery store and you pick up one of those like inquirer bullshit things, they literally take a photo, they put some fake headline so on that's it. That's a $200 million dollar year business, I believe. Of course. Um, so this has been around for a very, very long time. Yeah, it's called yellow journalism. I mean, Hearst built his whole empire on that. Yep. Robert Rupert Murdoch was accused of doing that. This works. Yeah, yeah. And it's not bad always. Sometimes it's funny. Like TMZ, I think is the best. 
you want to hear uh, what I think is crazy about TMZ? Everyone gives them a bunch of shit. They're always the very, right. They were the very first person to report the Kobe Bryant yep, helicopter I was on crash. TMZ.com right when it crazy. happened. They're right. always right. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so I think what it gets to, though, is this idea that now with the internet, like people always thought this stuff was kind of like salacious or exaggerated or whatever, or all the way to just actually fake. Now they actually have the ability to verify that it's fake. Yeah, it's, like, it, yeah, and so I think that the reason why I, subscription I'm bullish on, I, we're doing like B two B subscriptions, so I think that's why we're going to kill it. But uh, consumers and people, consumers and businesses are willing to pay for quality information. Mm-hmm. And I didn't. Do you think that there's the subscription model changes the content, like the type of content you create if it's behind the paywall yeah, versus? Yeah, and I'll not? explain why. So some businesses like what I know how to run a media business now and I know how they operate. What I would do if I started my business in 2020, no, let's say 2009 when Facebook started, okay. 2010, whenever pages came out, what I would do is I would say each writer, you guys have a 1 million page view quota. You have to hit it every month. And then I would go out and hire a thousand writers and I would teach them how to write headlines and I would be able to get that and make a lot of money. That's basically what BuzzFeed, liter- yep. I mean, literally built. And it was their a great business, business when yep. it lasted. Yep, it's still a good business to be honest, but it's just that it's maybe yeah. not multi-billion-dollar company. Yep. I mean, B- Business Insider for the longest time took other people's articles, rewrote a couple of words, put a headline on it that was better, and yep. then shot it out to the and world. And it worked. Yep. And want to read the full story? Click here. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? I love Business Insider. Yep. It was pretty. It was wonderful. Um, or I think it is. It's it served the purpose that it set out to serve, and I think people appreciate when something fulfills the brand promise that it has. Yeah. And I really dug it. And so um, that that is one type of content. And Mm -hmm. I would say, write, get this many page views. The best way to get it is to average 10,000 page views per article, write um, three articles a day. Mm -hmm. And boom, that's it. Now with subscription, what you can do is you can say, you can write any amount of articles you want. You can write one a year or you can write one a day. I'm going to see which of your articles brings in the most new subscribers. And the way that you're going to bring in new subscribers is someone's going to read your article and so they're going to see it's paywalled. And they're going to say... Or, or they're going to have friends and they're going to say, this is looks really interesting. I'm going to pull out my wallet and give you $300 and buy it. And that is the test of quality. Is if it so good, they'll buy it. And I can measure all my writers that way. How how much of that content do you think has to be behind the paywall versus giving it away for free and then getting people to subscribe? Like, What do you think about that? My balance? current opinion, and it cha- will change maybe, is 100% should be paywalled. 100%. How do people find it slash know that it's high quality? So what I mean by 100% is maybe like... What I mean is 100% of the articles, not 100% of the article. So okay. for example, the headline, the picture, and maybe a description can be visible. Got it. So it's kind of like you're teasing them with a little bit of what is this article about? But if you actually want to read the article, you got to uh, yeah. actually... And then convert. I think the the concept of the publication, the concept of the content, the concept of the all the other programming, the concept of what the value you're going to provide them, that needs to be done in the sales copy. Mm-hmm. And so what do you think about the model that some of the mainstream press has taken in terms of like, hey, I'll give you 10 articles, you can read 10 for free, and then you have to convert versus just hard paywall everyone? I don't know the results, so I can't actually... Uh, the data wins, but I don't think that that's a good idea. The only reason why I think they think it's a good idea is to keep doing it. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> right? they also do a lot of dumb stuff. That's true. Yeah, You know yeah. what I mean? Like... um. But even like the New York Times, who I think at this point is very sophisticated. But the New York I, Times is different. Okay, the New York why? Times is different because they're not an upstart. They're not like... Fair. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like what if I was the New York Times, they're doing a lot of really good ad campaigns. I would say... I would do an ad campaign that says like... Or maybe if I was the Wall Street Journal, I'd be like... Like 
I would try to campaign like 16, get your license. Like 18, go to college. Mm -hmm. 21, get have your first drink. 25, get your first job. Subscribe to Wall Street Journal. Yep. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I would do ad campaigns like that where it's like, oh, yeah, of course, you have to sub subscribe. Yep. When you're a company like me and no one knows who you are yeah. yet. Whole different game. Yeah. Got it. Uh, you guys should start a podcast. Yeah, um, it's called My First Million. It's awesome. Um, <laughs> it's cool. That's the best pitch for a product we've had on the podcast ever. It's so fun, though. <laughs> it's awesome. It's so fun. So right, what, the way it started it was Sean, uh, a friend of mine who sold his company, started it where he would just interview people about the early days. And that was going fine. But then one day, a guest didn't show up. And Sean was like, hey, come and um, just riff with me like we're doing now. And I was like, all right, let's riff. And I got a bunch of trends reports. And then I did my own research. I like did research on the executive recruiting industry. I did research on cruise ships. I did research on um, Boy Scouts. I was like, these three business models are really interesting to me. And let me explain to you why. And we started riffing on them mm -hmm. about like, I was like, what could work is, look, this Boy Scouts is declining. The reason it's declining is this thing. I think there's opportunity here. And that's all we do in the podcast. And people love it. So now Boy we get, Scouts just went uh, bankrupt. Yeah. <laughs> and I think a big business can be built there. Oh, for sure like young young turning boys into men mm -hmm. um i think it's actually going to become more popular because with digital everyone's like you got to get out you got to do this mm -hmm. and then i wouldn't have the religion concept of boy scouts because religion is less popular and i'm like yeah look at the numbers and i like break out the financials i'm like here's this this and that's what we do on trends i just do it in the podcast got it uh and so as you've grown this uh both on the email side and on the podcast talk to me about ad sales like how did you guys initially attack that and then how have you gotten smarter about that over so time? We've had our events, um, we're kind of retooling how we're doing them, but they were quite big. Like, maybe we get 10 or 15,000 attendees uh, so a year. People would pay to come or it was free? Uh, pay. Pay, okay. And so, the, so I had hundreds of speakers, the mm -hmm. founders of massive companies. WeWork, which doesn't hold as much clout as it used to, but WeWork, Casper. Did Adam come? Uh, Miguel. Or Miguel, okay. So all these Miguel's like, big, still there. He's cool. Yes. Um, go, read, go read Plana's profile on Miguel. She wrote a pretty good pretty fair i think uh profile. he's just a hippie yeah he's cool dude he's like what six eight six seven he's something massive. like that yeah and uh she, so when i first met polina she i think either right before i met her or right after she wrote a article on there's four friends from high school that all play basketball together that all were running either as the founder or a lead executive of a billion dollar startup miguel uh, App Dynamics was the another one, and then there was two other guys. I forget who the other two guys were, uh, but there are four guys who all played on the same high school basketball team. I. <laughs> and I remember reading the article and being like, "What the hell are they putting in the water over there?" <laughs> They're all well. He's a hippie. He lived in a commune. Um, but we had um, so you like, had a bunch of executives yeah, 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 yeah. And so when we first started, so the conference the first year made like three or four or five hundred thousand dollars, and our burn rate each month for like five employees in an office was something like $25,000 a month mm -hmm. or something like that. And I said, all right, let's build this email. And then the email is going to become bigger than the conference. So I said, we got to get to 30 grand a month in ad sales to be profitable. So I called up or emailed all the founders who spoke at the conference. And I go, guys, you know, I know how to execute. You know that like this is a real community. Put me in touch with your ad sales people. And originally it was like deals like, just give me your link and I'll put it in there and give me $500 for every mattress I sell. Mm -hmm. And then... Um, I hired Adam, who's now the president of my company and runs a lot of the day-to-day -day operations. I went to high school with him mm -hmm. and he built the sales team from scratch. That's just a bunch of killers. And so when you guys think about how to create the products that you sell, like the actual ad product itself, is it still this like more D to C, hey, here's a link, go convert? Or do you do Both. brand and uh, Both. actual response? Yeah. I mean, the ad that we've made tens of millions of dollars on, I just wrote it out one day and I was like, all right, there's the ad unit, go sell it. 
and it worked. Um, now it's more sophisticated. Like our technology for sending, so we have this thing called our CMS. That's not an appropriate name, but we still call it that. But um, our writers write in it. Our ad salesman sees all the inventory. We know how many subscribers we have that day, and we have a projected six month plan based off of our previous six months. And then we um, we um, can see the profiles of all the subscribers, like the demographics. Then we send a link to our advertisers. We've worked with thousands of advertisers advertisers at this point. So sales, like we close, let's say um, Smartwater. We close Smartwater. That goes into our Salesforce. Our Salesforce tells our CMS. The CMS automatically sends them a link. They fill out a brief that sends back to us. We create the ad. They approve. Um, it goes out to people. Mm-hmm. Then check this out. The advertiser pays through that thing. Mm-hmm. And a bank who we have a line of credit with sees like our accounts receivable and can loan us money against that. And so that's how we bootstrap the whole company. It's pretty good. It's, it's pretty cool. It's really yeah. cool. It, it, and it it's crazy that uh, one of the things that you said in there that I think a lot of companies wouldn't do um, because again, it's taking risk is you said, Hey, give me the link and you just pay me on what I sell, like betting on yourself. Right. Because I think a lot of people, especially when it comes to newsletters and content, etc., they're so used to the display model of just, Hey, pay me two grand and I'll put your, well, some people like yeah. who sell like certain things like Goldman has advertised with us. Like they can't, they don't, yeah, that's how not do how they, they work. Yeah. How do yeah. they measure? Uh, um, how many people open the email? Did you call Goldman or did they call you? I didn't close that deal. I don't, cl- no. I don't do deals anymore, but, uh, I don't know, but I'll tell you something funny. Uh, I could talk about. I probably will get yelled at. I don't give a fuck. Uh, we had Goldman, but we said <laughs> we wrote a story about fuck Jerry. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And Elliot, Ellie, Ben Kaplan. All yeah, yeah. And so we thought it'd be funny just to use the word fuck like for everything. Like they really fucked up. Fuck Jerry. Fucked up by fucking the customers. Yep. Out of and so Goldman got mad at us and pulled out because um, you had the ad we in... said, yeah we said fuck too many times yeah um, oh, that's fine yeah at least you didn't <laughs> put the f word in front of Goldman right? yeah and so we got in trouble with them but yeah we have like a team a sales team and, and some people we, we sell on opens um, but we definitely have to make money for them for sure. And so as you think about this now, uh, what's next, right? So you got trends, you'll go eventually and add a higher tier subscription. Um, you've got the podcast, will you go do more podcasts? Yeah, we'll what, do like, more podcasts. Basically, here? I look at our business like a funnel. We have top of funnel, which is ad supported content. So podcasts, free newsletters, social and things like that. And then we have a little bit lower down the funnel, which is trends. That's $300 a year. I think in the next handful of months, we're going to raise it to $600 a year. So sign up now. Uh, <laughs> With the code POMP, so you get 50% off. Yes. Um, and then um, and then we have one below that, and that's our events. Events cost $100. Sometimes, no, as cheap as $20 all the way up to $2,000. And then one below that, we'll have something that's 10 or 20 grand a year. And I want to do in-depth research for different industries and companies. And then one below that is I eventually want to invest or start businesses based off of interesting insights that we discover. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so like what you said with the hotels, basically, could you take an insight you learned at, at, after analyzing the hotel industry and then go? Yeah, I've already personally it. invested in things that we discovered. Yep. Um, but I want to do it at Can scale. you talk about one of them? Um, like, is there an example that you can talk about that doesn't? Screw yeah, I'll, up? I'll talk about one. I won't. Yeah, it was a uh, keto ramen. These guys, what is that? yeah, well, so, well, like keto, like the like the diet. Yeah, like okay. low carb ramen. Okay, and because we were talking about keto cereal, people were searching yeah. for keto cereal like crazy. Yeah, I, but I think there's somebody who's started to build this now. Yeah, right? Mag- okay. Magic Spoon, and we talked about oh, this yeah, months right. ago. Okay, and cereal school, and cereal school, and we started like looking at like um, different 
ways that that could be big, and mm-hmm. it was ramen, and so I invested in one of them. So you saw, hey, lots of people are buying keto cereal. They're searching for keto cereal, Yeah, right. what else are people searching for? Where's the other opportunity? Yep. And, and keto ramen was a huge one. Mm-hmm. And then basically you went and you found the keto ramen mm-hmm. business. Yeah. Uh, so you had to go hunt. Like I'm always fascinated well, I, by- This one was easy. I had fr- a friend that was already kind of tinkering. Okay. So it worked out and well. They, and they started the business based on your insight or they were already- It was a collaboration. They were tinkering with it. Got it. Um, and then I'm like, yeah, you should go for this. Um, Polina just walked in the room. Yeah, so we're going to talk, my, that's we're gonna my talk bag. about- That's my bag. could throw it all down. We can't say anything bad about her anymore. Um. Another thing was, um, do you remember the these apps? Uh, they're called. Uh, it was called Hooked. Uh, oh wait, this is where they were like sending uh, push notifications, and it was like part of the story. Yeah, like teens were reading yep. like thrillers. Yeah, yeah. Well, we analyzed that. We're like, like text that's, message. That's really interesting. Yeah, we're like that's really interesting. But you know what? The the category that grows fastest and has the most liquidity is romance novels. Mm-hmm. Going back to the black werewolves. That yeah. Are whatever. Yeah. 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 And so I invested in a company that was doing um, serialized app content that was paid for and but it was meant for middle america moms as opposed to like teens like mm-hmm. hooked is yep and so you basically you can just use those insights which obviously if somebody wants to get those insights they can go subscribe and then use it to do the same thing you're doing yeah makes sense uh what do you think about barstool sports you know anything about them i'm fast i'm fascinated by taking the media model and plugging it into a massive business like Penny yeah, gaming it worked and i mean this what's the stock today do you see uh i did not see i'll look it up right if now. it's above 30 the other day it was thirty two. Uh, it's been going up. That's for What's sure. It today? I uh, bought a bunch when they uh, announced it. Thir- thirty six. It's thirty six. Yeah. Okay. It's when they bought it, it was twenty four or twenty two. Uh, twenty five ninety six one month ago, but I think they probably announced it a little bit after that. Oh well, on the chart it was twenty five forty two, and then there's a massive rocket ship up into the right of the stock. So, price. what's the difference between twenty five and thirty six? What's that? Uh, forty percent. Yeah, something like that. Okay, so that means it. I'm not good at math. So that means it, it, it sold f- the that values it at around six hundred and something million. Uh, what pen or barstool? Barstool. I mean, oh. what I mean is th- okay. So so we could definitely talk about this. Ready? Uh, pen just did this, and uh, Tesla just did this. Where in both cases they did something that was a catalyst that drove the stock price up, but the appreciation of the stock more than covered what they did. So yeah. Penn bought Barstool, no brainer, because they actually made money. Well, on so that they only paid a hundred, hundred fifty three million or hundred thirty six million, I think. And then they have an option to buy the rest. Buy the rest, but, yeah. But their market cap, no, their market cap went up way more than. Yeah, they they had a four hundred fifty million dollar price target on it, and, and they have a three billion dollar cap. Current market cap is four point two billion dollars. Yeah, so their their yeah. market cap went up by more than a billion dollars. Yes, no brainer deal for them. And then and even, then and then uh, they also. Uh, Portnoy, Dave Portnoy, and the company got a ton of Penn stock. Of course, so well, they're crushing it. So two things about Portnoy, I, I love the guy. Uh, he's worth a hundred plus million dollars. Yeah, right. Without the appreciation in the stock, and when uh, he they, might get sued though. When they well, when they announced the deal, he, he, I heard him on a podcast, and he's like, "I have unlimited money." He's like, "For a guy like me, literally unlimited money." And you're just looking at him, and you're like. Yeah, actually, like given the life he lived for 13 years before he ever raised money, before he did anything with churning, etc. And they sold that two years prior for a $15 million valuation, or maybe four no, years. No, no, four. So, yeah, so churning came in. I think they bought 50% of the business for like seven, seven and a half million bucks, about $15 million yeah. valuation. Uh, but to Eric Nardini and uh, Mike Kearns and churning and all their credit, uh, Dave and uh, Dan and all the, they had no clue what they were doing from They're a business idiots. standpoint. They owned like, 
Erica says she walked into, yeah. stuff. Well, Erica says she walked into the uh their quote unquote office and there was like un uh cash checks lying around. And she was like, guys, what are you doing? They're like, oh well, yeah, we should probably bring that to the bank. And she was like, All right, like the the bar of where we're starting is so low, like I could definitely help here. And then look what they did. Turned a four hundred fifty million dollar company in four years. Yeah. So you asked what I think about it. It doesn't really matter what I think about it. It worked. I think it's successful. Obviously, it's successful. It's great. What would you do if you're Erica and Dave with that business now? It's so not... I mean, it's so obvious. You have a barstool casino. You have Disney World, but for grown men who want to get drunk and gamble. I mean... So I also think they're going to open their own uh, pizza chain. Yeah, I heard that. Right? If they if they make that move, if you go physical I mean, casinos, you keep up with the digital content, and you go uh, pizza chain? I would just go and read the biography of Walt Disney and just do all of that. So like just re oh so you think like even go like all in on the physical locations yeah but instead of a theme park you have a casino yeah which is basically what Penn I has. just do exactly what Walt Disney did except for like thirty five and four year old dudes yeah that's which, what I would which do which they have yeah so it's not like I'm not like smart for saying that yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, hey look that's obviously what they're gonna go do yeah. um and then uh Elon did this as well but he said hey I'm gonna raise two billion dollars I'm gonna sell a bunch of stock and the stock went up eight billion dollars yeah and then he got fined twenty million dollars no, no no this this is uh last week he oh. said last week he comes out and I guess like a month ago he was like I'm not gonna I don't need to raise any more money I'm not gonna do that and then this week or last week he's like uh yeah I need to uh raise two billion dollars so I'm gonna sell some stock uh from the company they're gonna issue new stock and, and sell it but the stock went up eight billion dollars on that announcement and so he basically created right six billion dollars of Delta in that transaction, plus he's got $2 billion. Well, both him and Portnoy, I think, are loose cannons, and I, they could get in trouble. You think? The, why do you think Portnoy's going to be in trouble? For the for tweeting about the stocks? Yeah. Do you see the tweets where he like puts the asterisk, and then he's he like, goes, I know nothing a, about stocks. I own a fuck ton of yeah. Penn stock. <laughs> I mean, look, I get like, I think it's funny, and I love it. I don't know if the SEC will find it. I mean, we'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, I, he has to have a lawyer, like, really close. There's somebody's got to be looking but, at uh, it. I don't know. We'll see what the SEC thinks is funny. What other businesses in the media world are you fascinated by right now or you think are doing really interesting things? B2B business publishers. Like who? Um, there's this company called Informa. Okay. Never heard of them. Who yeah, most it? never have. Um, have you heard of them? Yeah, most Planet people. just gave us the no. no most people have never if heard Planet of them. hasn't heard of it, doesn't exist. Go um, ahead. Google Informa market cap. It's traded on uh, the English or England. Uh, it's traded in England. It might be $13 billion. Uh, market cap. It says nothing. Huh? It's because they're not on a, the American Stock Exchange. Okay. I think it's their All revenue right. is three or four or five billion dollars. Two point three seven billion GBP in revenue. Two thousand and eighteen in revenue. Yes. Yeah. So I think it's a thirteen billion dollar company. Um, to USD. What is that in USD? So three. Yeah, three. Basically, three billion dollars US in 2018. And so revenue. Yeah, three and a half, four billion. And their market cap is some number between ten and fifteen. Well, okay. what they do is they make money in a few different ways. Primarily, two different ways. They own a hundred brands or so, maybe more, maybe less. Um, and they own. They're mostly B two B things. So, for example. I think they own this, but let's just it might be made up. They own like an agricultural brand that a lot of farmers, no, not, it's probably more specific. People who buy equipment for farming, okay, whether they're they work at John Deere or something mm -hmm. like that, and then they monetize that through subscriptions. Then they have a data side where if you want to figure out, um, I'm just making this up as I go. If you want to figure out, um, 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 the best the data on buying different parts and 
who's selling the f- best parts or mm-hmm. what the projection what the most is popular engine component is. Yeah, yeah just like things like information you need to run your business a little bit more effectively then they have a trade show where if you are john deere you'll have a booth there and then a, the guy who makes the leather seats will have a booth there mm-hmm. and so so you can uh sell to each other yep um so that's how they make money in three different so ways events the actual data itself and then the content yeah yep. uh, so a lot of people don't know about it three billion dollars a lot of money it's stupidly profitable. Their trade shows, I did a big report on this. Their trade shows will do 40% income. <laughs> yeah, I mean, their trade show business br- brings in hundreds of millions of dollars in profit. Crazy. Um, And so I think they're really interesting, obviously. And so with our company, they're kind of like what I see us becoming. Mm-hmm. Um, So I think that's really interesting. What else? I don't know. Um. I just want your free knowledge. You just taught me about Informa. What else you got? There's well, there's loads of companies just like Informa just like that are that. a little bit smaller. Essential, A S C E N T A L. A S C E N. Nope, I got it. It's Ascential. another British company. A S C. Why are they all in? Uh, I don't know. They're Britain. all in Britain. All the trade show companies. Formerly E M A P is a British business to business media business specialized. Yeah, that's a lot of businesses. It's a four hundred million dollar a year top line, one hundred fifty yep. million in income. Yep, that's cool, and they do something similar. They own Cans, you know Cans, the yeah, uh, yeah, the advertising festival. Yep, yeah. they own that. Have you heard of um, that? That actually always just struck me as a way for the people who owned it to go to on vacation on some else's time. Okay. Have you heard of um, Money Twenty Twenty? Yep, they own that. Got um, it. Those conference businesses are really big, and and there's some guy uh, in California who created a couple of these and sold them all just recently. Yeah, that's him. The guy who started Money Twenty Twenty. Yeah, wh- who is that guy? He owns Shop Talk. It's a uh, a white British guy and an Indian guy, I think. All right, hold on. The guys behind the Money 2020 conference, what is this? Want to do the same thing in commerce, which is a show. Or no, talk. it's an Israeli guy, an Israeli guy and an Indian guy. Uh, Anil Agarwal, Simran Agarwal, and Jonathan Weiner. Yeah, they- uh, Two of those seem to be relatives and one not so much. Yeah, they're cool. They're, um, they just sold, they just sold- they sold Money 2020 for 100 million and they sold Shop Talk for 150. It's crazy. Yeah, they're huge. Big businesses. Yeah, so I'm really interested in trade shows and things like that because I think with the digital age, people, people are going to get together. Yeah, so I think that's going to be quite big. Um, so that fascinates me. Um, What's the one thing you learned building the hustle that you wish you knew at the beginning? Well, just about building businesses, how to control your emotions and like the ups. I try not. The ups to me are never that high, and the lows aren't low at all. Now, can, can we talk for a second? Uh, let's not use names unless you want to say the names about uh, how you ended up taking investment. Yeah, so we've raised money from um, Tim Ferriss. Oh, okay. He's gonna say the names. Go from ahead. Scott Belsky, <laughs> the founders of Nerd Wallet, which and with that Credit Karma news, they could be maybe they're they're second. maybe they want to double down. Yeah, who knows what will happen there? <laughs> I mean, that's a huge company. Um, I say Scott Belsky, yep. these guys are Behance, the founders of uh, Bleacher Report, the founders of The Chive, the founders of a couple of these old B2B media companies. Um, so a bunch of like media. All slash, media. Yep. Well, and so I didn't mean to raise money. Basically, I would ask for advice. There's this phrase, ask for advice, invest twice. So you, I would ask for advice and they'd be like, let me invest. And I'd be like, well, okay. And in my head, I was like, you'll... I was 24, so I, was, I, I didn't know what I was doing, but I was like, you're going to give me money and I get to message you all the time and ask you questions? That you're going to pay me to be my friend, that basically? That sounds <laughs> awesome. But listen to how I met Tim Ferriss was, 
he lived down the street from me and we would walk our dogs in, in San Francisco. Yeah, yeah, we would walk our dogs in the park and I knew who he was. I was a fan and he just knew me as Sydney, as my dog, as Sid's owner. Maybe he knew my name, but I don't think he did. And we would just shoot the shit. I didn't want to like fanboy out too much, but I'd be like, hey, just listen to your podcast. It was good. You know, how's Molly? How's your, how's everything? Like beautiful weather, just shooting the shit. And then one day I get an email from Tim and he goes, hey, I love the hustle. Can we meet and talk about email? And I go, yeah, sure. And he goes, all right, let's do this restaurant in the neighborhood. And I show up and he goes, oh, wait, you're the dog's owner. Wow. Totally coincidental. Yeah. And he didn't know when he No, emailed. no idea. Yeah. yeah. So did, that's how I did, met. Did you think that he knew? No, I never mentioned it. I never said a word. Yeah, uh, I love it. Uh, and so that's how I met Tim. Um, and so, yeah, I just would, I like I said, I researched like crazy. So I use web. And he wanted you to teach him about email. Yeah, he yeah, went yeah. he went hard on email, and yep. I was like, "Yeah, here's what we learned." And so he just kind of he's got what is the five bullet Friday or whatever. I think it's become a pretty big list that he's it's huge. Yeah, he's yeah. going. It's yeah. quite big. And so now him and I will trade best practices on nerdy the technical aspect. Like you, you guys should create a subscription service where just people can subscribe to you and Tim texting. That would be awesome. We should like ser- um, like ser- I'm dead serious, right? If you think about like put you and like 20 other media folks in a text thread and it like make somehow make it so that people can only read. They can't, they can't actually That's a great interact. Idea. And then all you do is you guys just have your normal conversations. Like, Hey man, what are you seeing with this? But whatever people would pay you know 10 bucks a month and just see like, what are these 20 people all talking about to build their businesses? And they would just try to steal your idea. That's a great idea. But that, you know, yeah, I want 50% I don't want of the to plug revenue. too much, but that's what our podcast is. Which, which is <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're just like shooting the shit. And if like, he created the text message thing, I was, I wanted 50% of the revenue, but he's already got the podcast. It's similar, <laughs> but, uh, that's, that's a funny idea. Yeah. Just, I, I've always been fascinated by, uh, Previously, if you and I sat down in a private room, like no one would like buy tickets to like listen to us talk, right? But actually, maybe, yeah. But like, it, it would be hard to like actually execute on. What do they pay? And they only gotta, a like, certain amount of people could and, show up. Yeah. yeah, like all this kind of stuff. But now that like a lot of communication is digital, uh, I actually think that that's going to become more popular over time. So it's like, how many companies are you a fan of that you think is really good at X, Y, or Z, and you would actually pay to see their internal communications? So I'll let me tell you this. I love that idea, and here's why. I read a ton of biographies. My favorite biography, two of my favorites are the biography of Joe Kennedy called The Patriarch. And the second one is um, Titan by John Rockefeller. I was obsessed with them for different reasons, but I really admired those guys, different aspects. Joe Joe Kennedy was a, an asshole of a husband. So, But I like little parts of them. And we, we can pick and choose here as to what parts we like about people. Right, and so I, I obsess over things. So I read those biographies, and then they would write letters to their families. And there's mm-hmm. other books that are not well known. You got to dig for them on Amazon and you could see their correspondence. And yeah. I love doing that. And yeah. so what I love about the digital age with like this Elon Musk book, I'm like, show me those emails. I want to see all those emails mm-hmm. back and forth. And so it's really fun um, when investors like tweet, when some company sells, they're like, here's the first pitch that they gave me an email. I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. You, you should take all of your emails like from the beginning, the first five years or something, batch them all up and sell them to one person. <sighs> There's somebody out there who would buy it. We'll call it Hillary. <laughs> that I don't care what side you're on. That was just a stupid joke. <laughs> just a dumb joke. There's a lot of people who pay a lot of money for those 33,000 emails. That's a, stu- that's a stupid joke, but uh, that's a good idea. Yeah. Um, all right. Where uh, People can go to thehustle.co. Thehustle.co if they want our free email. Trends.co if they want our subscription. Mm-hmm. And I'm on Twitter. We all talked, all three of us in this room talked to each other on Twitter, the Sampar. Okay. Twitter's been my, 
it's awesome right now, and you're huge on it. Hon- That's how I heard about you. Honest, honestly, uh, I have no clue how Twitter does not make more money. How much would you pay to use Twitter a month? Dozens of dollars. Uh, yeah, like twenty I, or thirty. I mean, a lot. I legitimately think I would pay more than I would pay for Netflix for sure. I would like if you just go down the line of all the things that you pay subscriptions for. Twitter would probably be at the top of the list for me. All three of us met in this room on, or I met you two on Twitter. Yeah, you guys met on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. she she stalked me on the internet. That's awesome. It's a long story. I've met, We've never told the story on the podcast. One day we're gonna make her tell it. I uh, I posted on Twitter last night that I'm gonna be. That I I purposely rented a huge Airbnb and I says I'm gonna have a dinner with 20 people. All I had 100 people sign up to come, but I like limited it to only 20. All of them came from Twitter. Twitter's awesome. It it succeeds despite itself. Like yes. Dorsey, which, which actually makes it super valuable. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I uh, I I I buy Twitter stock. I think that Jack Dorsey needs to. Uh, I love. I like him as a person because he's weird. He should be fired. And <laughs> um, so I'm I'm actually uh in the opposite camp. I don't think Twitter would be as good as it is without Jack because I think that Jack, either intentionally or accidentally protects it for what it is so both can be true yeah so look if you want to look at it as like a platform that does good for the world mm-hmm. then he should stay mm-hmm. if you want to look at it as purely a just a like zuck and just get all money you can out of it yeah he will not do it agreed so it depends what you want i as someone who just wants to use it and i would sell all my stock yeah great stay there jack <laughs> make it a public service and that just pro- happens to make a profit all right i think wikipedia reddit and twitter and quora should all be like that yeah, that's fair. Like, just don't milk us dry. Just keep it like okay. Yeah. Well, well there two or at least two, if not three of those, are already doing that. So that's good. Um, last two things to talk about: uh, Bitcoin. Yeah, you guys want to hear a cool story? Okay, so yeah. By the way, this po- whole podcast originally started about Bitcoin. I never talk about Bitcoin anymore. Okay, this is a good one. All right. So, <laughs> I know what you're about to say, and it's so wild. Oh, 2013. Is it? No, 12. 2012. Okay. okay. So 2012, I went to this party. Um, it was called an animal print party. So we all wore animal clothing. What did you go as? I don't know. Oh, I wore like a onesie, a onesie like adult pajama that had like zebra on it. Okay. And that's a shitty costume, but go ahead. I was twenty something, twenty two. I that's all. It was that's fine. I, at least I you from, got dressed up. I got it from like dollar store, some of the dollar store. Okay, so I met this girl. I started talking to this girl, and we were hitting it off. I was single at the time. And we were doing great. And, you know, this big, charming guy walks in and I like stare at him because he was wearing like a he was wearing like a Speedo, an animal print Speedo. And he was like fit and tall and a good smile. And he steals the girl from me and starts chatting her up. And I end up start talking to the guy and I made friends with him, yada, yada, yada. And uh, I friended him on Facebook afterwards. And um, we took we took pictures together. Okay. And I start following him on Facebook. His name was Ross. And um. I see on Ross what? I'll tell you. I see on Facebook that he's like selling his truck for two thousand dollars because he posted the Craigslist link. I see that he's like an equities trader on LinkedIn. Just whatever. I wasn't like close with him, but I had hung out with him that day. He stole your girl. Yeah, we yeah. And so a few weeks later, maybe a few months later, I come home from my house. I come to my house in Glen Park, and there's police at the library. And I'm like, what is going on? And I and someone Terry, my friend, she goes, Sam. Ross got arrested. I was like, for what? He goes, you know Silk Road? I was like, yeah, I know Silk Road. She goes, he restarted Silk Road. Holy shit. And uh, I knew what Silk Road was. Like, I knew what I knew a lot of, I mean, I, it was like this like scary, cool thing. That was Ross, Ross Albright. Albright, Albright. Yep. Um, that was him. 
And the next the day, the dude in the speedo who stole your girl started Silk Road. It gets better. The next day, I go to lunch at my office, and I my coworker, his name was Billy. I go, Billy, do you see about this Silk Road thing? It was powered by like this whole Bitcoin thing. And Billy goes, Yeah, my dad like loves it, and he thinks it's going to be huge. Well, Billy's last name, Billy Draper, was his name. Yep. yep. And his dad was Tim Draper, and I. I, and his dad kind of had a couple of Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. And his he, Billy, like I wasn't that close with Billy. And, and I try not to talk too much about his father because, you know, he's a big deal and you don't want to fanboy out. But Billy was like, yeah, my dad thinks it's going to be cool. And I was like, cool. Well, I don't know anything about this, but if your dad says it's going to be good. If and Ross I knew this was really, important. Yeah, I was like, I'm in. <laughs> and so I bought a bunch of it. And then for Christmas, I bought each of my family members $200 worth. And I think that turned into 10 grand. And they all laughed at me at the time. And then when it hit 20 Gs, like a year and a half ago, I go, yeah. hey, mom log into that thing called Coinbase that I sent you to log into and go take a vacation. And so they all sold it and took vacations. Oh, they sold it? I think they all sold half. Yeah, I go, just sell half and have fun. Um, That's awesome. And uh, that's how I heard about Bitcoin. That may be the best story I've ever heard. It's crazy, right? Yeah. Um, And then I read the book, American Kingpin, Uh and they describe my neighborhood. I live in the small neighborhood in San Francisco that very few people know about. And Mm. I was... It was right like I hang like I sit at the at the seat where he sits all the time that I used to hang out at that library. The story of how they got his computer is crazy. They just rushed him when he like like yeah, a, they a like lady distracted like, him with like a like a, a I think a, a guy in a, a it acted like a like guy was argued. hitting this woman or something. Yeah, yeah. and he goes turned around and then they just swarmed him and they well, get they him. They swarmed him in the part that I and that pull is, the is this thing is they like yeah they like shoved it across the uh, across the table so he couldn't lock the computer. Yeah, and then they run it to their van and they plug it into power, and which then is they, fucking crazy. It was badass, and uh, that's my library. I literally live next door to that. <laughs> It was crazy. This was crazy. I still I took the photos down off Facebook, but I saved them on my Dropbox. Um, it's it's pretty wild to me. It's like having pictures with Al Capone. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I mean, regardless if you think he did or not, it's like a famous like figurehead for yeah person. Yeah. Do you ever think I'll get out? I don't know. Enough I don't I- know where you fall on this, and you're more passionate about Bitcoin. I think that if you try to kill someone you should go to prison for a really long time. And here's, and, and I also, I used to have these kids that would sell drugs. I lived in Soma for a little while and yep. these these guys would sell drugs and I hated them for, for it. They would sell heroin. And I was like, you fucking guys, get off my block. You're ruining the neighborhood. And then I see him get arrested and I'm like, oh, he's this nice like suburban white kid. And I'm like, wait a minute. No, 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 no. If I'm mad at those guys, I need to also be mad at this guy. So I think there's a whole thing too about uh, what drug it is, right? And I think this is changing in America in general. Like, one of the most fascinating trends right now in culture to me is this idea that uh, like police departments are choosing what to decriminalize and what not to. They're not going to go decriminalize heroin, right? Like like the hardcore stuff that is very easy to draw a line to like this is killing people, I think will be illegal forever, if not for a very, very long t- period of time. But like marijuana, right? Especially like small possession of uh, or uh, possession of small amounts, et cetera. You have some states like, California, Colorado, et cetera, who just like, look, we're from a legislative standpoint going to say that this is legal in some cases or just for anyone. But then you have like the Baltimore police who the DA just is like, hey, guys, if you keep arresting people for this, I'm not going to prosecute That's them. That's what they it's did like, in San Francisco. Yeah, you're just, wasting, you're just fucking wasting your time. And that pisses me off because I lived in the I lived I, I I lived in Glen Park for most of the time I've been there for one stint I went to Soma and then I came right back and Soma you know anything about San Francisco Yep yeah, okay yeah. It's, I lived there for two years It's trashy I mean it's bad like but I was, trash I was one of everywhere those, I was one of the smart ones I lived up in the north part in like the Russian Hill Okay I, yeah. I lived in Soma and every day I see these same kids they keep bindles of heroin mm-hmm. in their cheek. They keep I, it like that. I told this story before. I one time uh, recently was walking in San Francisco about to go into Starbucks. And I saw uh, a guy who 
again, I, I don't know for sure, but it looked like he was pretty homeless, uh, just kind of really dirty, you know, clothes kind of jangled up, et cetera. And he knelt down and he put a coffee cup down. He took out an iPhone, put it on top of the uh, coffee cup, like he was holding it there. And as I was coming around the corner to walk in the store, I just kind of looked down. He was like just snorting like, it. Well, I was like, what is this guy doing, right? Like he's like kneeled down outside the sto- uh, store door and uh, he, he had a uh, needle. Yeah. Again, I don't know if he was actually shooting up right there or he was just put like changing his pocket or what he was doing, but I was just like, in what fucking planet do we live with? The guy's got so, an iPhone and a syringe. So look right? at this. I lived outside. It was the same. It, the, it was a group of kids from Gua- um, uh, Guatemala, I think, or I forget. I got to, I started talking to them. I under, kind of understood how they worked. And uh, I was so angry at them because I would see these, I would, I, I lived there for a few years, a couple of years, and I would see the same, these same people buying drugs. I see them get worse and worse. And one day, one of them died on my office doorstep. And I went to like, I was like, hey, can you please move? My employees are coming. And she was dead. Okay. So I got to know these people and I fucking hated those drug dealers. I hated, I was, I don't know who I hated. I was just angry. Yeah. I was pissed off and I don't know what the right decision is, but I know that if I was, if I wanted those drug dealers arrested, which I did, I Mm -hmm. also, you have to, Yeah. I I need to have that towards Ross, even though he was this like romantic, good looking, like free the people type of guy. Like it, you, ha- you have to have a- it. It's really hard to separate the actions from the impact, right? And I think that there's also uh, there's this community of like everything should be legalized. Like you shouldn't be mad at people who like create software and marketplaces and like all this stuff. But at the same time, then there's this thing of like, well, if you know people are selling drugs and people are getting hurt, then like, are you responsible or not? Which actually is very similar to like, should Facebook be responsible for the content that's on there? Like yeah, it's, it's a, every it's, marketplace it's a, owner. It's right? a challenging yeah. problem. And and I kind of, it's really to be, challenging. To be honest, I'm, I'm kind of a, a little bit of a, I don't take as much time to think about it as I probably should. So I have like a kind of stupid answer to this, but it's like, that's a super complex issue that's above my pay grade. And I actually don't know what the answer is, which it's is hard. kind of a cop out. Right. But like, well, there is no answer. There's, yeah. there's let's try this and see what there. And there's, there and there's no a answer. spectrum of like, there's the hardcore believers on one end. There's the hardcore believers on another end. And there's everyone that's in the middle and like, they all disagree. And that's where you get all of the, but don't the forget chaos. he tried to kill three people and they thought he killed one. He thought he killed a couple of them and then kept going. Right. Yeah. yeah. So like, that's a whole separate issue. Of course. So, um, as much as and I he stole your girl, like that, that might be the most important part. Is like... yeah, her name was Sasha. I remember it specifically. Um, I don't think she's listening to this, but um, yeah. So my thing is like, I, I loved reading about his book and I, it was such good writing that I was like, yeah, go Ross. Like, but then you got to like take your emotions out of it. Be like, I mean, yeah, a lot of bad stuff. Is. So it's really challenging. All right. Uh, last question for you, and then you could ask me a question to end. Uh, aliens, believer, non-believer? Believer. Why? Yeah. It just doesn't make, the math doesn't work out that like we're this floating rock and this massive existence and we're the only things that are like us. I think that aliens don't, probably maybe don't exist in the, like we think of as like, like the green two legs, show two <laughs> arms, like, but in terms of uh, living, maybe they don't even live, like maybe the word living doesn't even apply, but like there's some smart thing out there yeah are you more fearful of what's in space or what's in the ocean great question um so both if you <laughs> if, you're like i'm not fucking with anything if you said you'd give me a hundred thousand dollars to go to space uh-huh. for a day i would not do it for one day you I wouldn't would, do it nope not a chance why it's scared i, I scared. hate flying i don't do any drugs and i don't drink but when i fly i take xanax i hate i hate elevators okay. i don't like flying like coming up to the 53rd floor in here i did not like 
what about going down into the earth? If like you offered me, not a chance. If you offered me 10 grand for a, a one day cruise, I wouldn't do it. Oh, just for a cruise out in the ocean, not even not, to go down. Not in even the a ocean. chance. <laughs> not even a chance. So most, I hate both of them. Mo most people pay to go on the cruise. Yeah. <laughs> I think about this a lot. I'm like, what is my threshold for a three day cruise? Might be, oh, fuck. It could be as high as 60 grand. $60,000, somebody could pay you to go on the boat for three days. I don't even know if I would do it then. So I, I forget, and uh, maybe Joe remembers uh, who this is, but there's this guy on YouTube. He uh, he does like not pranks, but like kind of stunts, right? And one of them, uh, he put a million dollars in single 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 dollar bills into a box and took four people and put their hand on the box and said, "Last one to take your hand off wins the million dollars." And they went for like seventy two hours or something, you know, like literally peeing in bottles and like the whole the whole nine yards. Uh, and he films the whole thing, right? And it's like this crazy viral video uh and so i always think about like what are other things other than like keep your hand on a box and like for you it would be like you and five other people who are scared of a cruise ship put them out j literally just far enough where you could see land but you can't come back until you tap out unless i could be heavily med medicated i wouldn't do it <laughs> you wouldn't even go out there no i've like it's really bad it like holds me back like i don't i don't travel a lot because of it All i right. hate it when the aliens come, I know who not to go hang out with because <laughs> you're not hiding anywhere good. Uh, what question do you have for me to finish this up? Um, you're in the military, right? I was. What is the single biggest takeaway? Convince me to join the military. What can I learn? You can't convince somebody. Okay. Um, I guess make me tell me. What well, the, what... let me hold. On, let me take that back. Uh, there's a specific Minus type the whole of person. Fighting thing, yeah, there's but... a specific type of person that you can convince, but it's not for the reasons that most people think. So you can convince 22 and younger men to join based on danger, fun, and uh, the like uh, adrenaline of it all. Just excitement. So yeah, so it's just like. The way I thought about it, I signed up when I was 17. I knew I was going to go to college, uh, already knew I was going to go play football, but I signed up for a contract that basically like let me go do that, and then I was going to owe time. Um, but the way that I did it, uh, I got deployed when I was a junior in college, right? So they pulled me out of school to go, came back, finished school. Um, when I was 17 years old, I had to go to my parents to get them to sign off. My dad literally said to me, I'm not fucking getting involved in this. Go talk to your mother. She's the one who's going to like kill me if I ever sign that paper. So my mom was like, no, 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 no. Finally, she agrees. And uh, in hindsight, why did I join? Because it was basically like summer camp, but they gave us guns, right? Like the concept of war, completely not in my head. Like the concept of danger, not in my head, whatever. It was like, dude, you're going to go. You're going to like do a bunch of physical activity. They're going to yell at you. I was like, that's pretty much my life anyways, at like football or family, whatever. And then they're going to like teach you how to like, do things in the water or like jump out of this or, you know, whatever. They're going to teach you to shoot. Like, I was like, this sounds fucking awesome. Like, no, I would pay people to go do this. I would do, I but mean, instead they're going to pay me. Yeah. Like, sign me up. So that like very specific age group you can convince. After that, it becomes very politicized, very like ethos driven. Like, it's almost like you become too smart to be convinced by the like, hey, there's a drug. So do you regret here. it? No, not at all. Like, it was the best thing that I did, especially because I did it when I did it. Was it right? good for discipline? Uh, it was really good with dis I, I was pretty disciplined already, but I think what it did was it taught me like the importance of self-discipline, right? Discipline being like, I played football, I went to school. Like there was a lot of discipline and structure in my life already, probably because my father knew that I needed that or I'd be a shithead. Uh, but what this taught me, I think, was more of like, here's the reasons why you should impose the discipline on yourself. And if you, uh, what is the guy's name? Uh, Jocko Wilnick. Yep. Like uh, one of his big things is like discipline equals freedom. And I think like that's so true. Uh, but people don't realize that the discipline component there is less about like move your right foot, move your left foot. And it's more about having like 
okay, I want to build a company, right? I'm going to actually spend the time necessary to do this and I'm not going to give up, right? Or I have to go learn certain things, et cetera. And so the military isn't as uh, rigid or like top down as people think it is. It's much more like the sergeant shows up to his team and says, hey guys, we got to go like solve this problem. Like, how are we going to do it? And so there's a lot of creativity that goes on, but it's within a structure. Were you depressed when you left? No, not at all. Uh, I, w- I was too dumb to be. Like I, I was. Uh, well, I think a, uh, my hypothesis was a lot of people would get depressed when they leave because uh, a lot of men don't have the like when you're in the military, you have a mission and you have camaraderie. Yeah. So uh, one of the things that um, I credit a lot to, like a lot of guys uh, that I went uh, to Iraq with and also served in the military, a lot of suicides. A ton of guys got arrested after we got back. Uh, I mean, literally, a guy pistol whipped somebody in a, a parking lot. You know, uh, DUIs, all kinds of crazy shit that went on. Um, and a lot of it was like either PTSD specifically or like similar types of reactions to all of this. Um, but for me, I went from being a normal kid to playing football, right? Which is all male camaraderie, semi-violent sport. You know, all of the kind of us first them, etc. To the military, which is still all male. Uh, camaraderie, et cetera, for my unit, uh, us first them, et cetera. When I came back, I went back to playing football. So it was kind of like an escalation of violence and camaraderie, et cetera, and then a de-escalation on the way out, which at the time you don't understand, right? But in hindsight, like super, super helpful for me. It's really sad that other people literally went from we're at war, two weeks later, they're like back at their job as a prison guard at working in a hardware store, et cetera. I have no clue how those guys dealt with it. And two, I was a single 21-year-old kid like, let's go drink beers and enjoy college type stuff. These guys are going back and like they have a wife and two kids. Yeah. Like, how do you go back into that environment? I have no fucking clue. So it makes a lot of sense why guys have the reactions they have, um, especially when you kind of like the combat units. Uh, but I was just super lucky in that uh, I kind of had that de-escalation out of it. Good answer. You want to join? No. I think, I, I think I would still get a bonus for signing somebody up. <laughs> I think I'm too old. Uh, how old are you? I'm 30. 30? Oh, I'm older than you. I'm 31. But you can't be, you can't enlist if you're. No, you can't. Yeah, yeah. There, oh, there's can? people. Oh, there's people who. Are no, I, I think I would. I would want to spend a week or two, maybe even like three or four months, um, getting all of the benefits, but none of the downside, like having to risk my life. <laughs> so there, I, I forget the program. God, I need to come up with. The, uh, I need to come up with the name of what this is. But there's a program that basically will put you through like very, very similar to SEAL training. But it's not in the military. It's like a private uh, thing, and it's uh, all run by ex seals, and they they basically know there's a bunch well, of people my who thing want is the like discipline. A, lo- a young men in America don't exactly have like a rite of passage from like you're a boy to you're a man. Yep. And what that creates is a lot of 25, 35 year old boys. And I'm like, man, if, if I wish there was this thing, yep. it's like you've accomplished. You are now a man. Like there's no task. There's no journey. So back in, uh, oh man, I'm gonna get this wrong. I think it's Sparta. Uh, I read this. I do not know if this is true. But they made you go out and like kill. Uh, so there, there's a whole hands. bunch of stuff. Like some of it was like when you were a kid, they put you out in the winter and whoever survived, well, you know, who, who knows what's true, who's not. But I heard that there was, uh, I think it's Sparta. And I think that the person who did this is uh, Dr. Seppa uh, on Twitter. He's always uh, tweeting. Um, but they basically made you run 10 miles with water in your mouth and you couldn't drink the water. So when you got to the end, you had to spit it out. That's crazy. That's cool. I think. And like, and like, you know what I mean? Like we couldn't today ever imagine somebody doing that. That would be like the most viral video of all time. Right. And then, and then everyone on the internet would be like, he cheated somehow. Right. But like those types of things around discipline, physical fitness, et cetera, are very similar to, I think what like the military provides. And I've told plenty a million times, like I was 17 when I went to basic training, I was 20 when I went to war. Right. 
you're literally too dumb and too naive to understand danger, one. But also, two, like, when the drill sergeant, when you're 17 years old, you're like, do more push-ups, like, run, whatever. You're literally like, oh, my football practice. Like, you just are like, ah, oh, whatever. Like, everyone my entire life has yelled at me, like, this guy versus my parents. Like, what's the difference? I don't, I don't, this guy could actually beat me up. Like, my parents couldn't actually do anything, right? When you're 25 or 30, you're like, hey, man, you're not going to talk to me that way. Right, like you almost have this like false sense of like uh, self importance or right. ego, and so I was there with guys who were thirty, and I'm like, "How are you getting yelled?" Like, <laughs> right, very very different life. That's a cool answer. All right, the hustle.co. The hustle.co for free email. Trends.co if you want to sign up, use P O M P for fifty percent off, and the Sampar um, at the Sampar on Twitter. Yeah, and he'll DM you and get you to sign up anyways. I will try. All right. Thanks so much for doing this. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Pop here. If you like this episode of Off the Chain and want to help us take crypto to the top of the Apple, Spotify, and other podcast charts, please do us a favor and rate, review, and subscribe. To review, simply go to the Off the Chain homepage, scroll down until you see the five blank stars. Taking 15 seconds to fill those stars in and leave a quick review goes a long way in helping us take the entire crypto ecosystem to the top of the charts. I appreciate you listening and see you next time on Off the Chain. Off the Chain.